This is a HeadGum Podcast. Oh, you know what we're going to talk about? Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah. Because that's we're starting, a, we're starting this miniseries. It's going to be about Cuba Gooding Jr. So, like, we should probably... Oh, snap. Wait. We get to do, we get to do Snow Dogs? I mean, we could. I mean, we could. We could. We could. I mean, is that what you... Are you excited about Snow Dogs? Is that Dogs? what you want to do? That's the one you're excited yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. To, snow Dogs, Boat Trip, Rat Race. I mean, which... I radio. Mean, to me, oh, those God. are my favorite Cuba Gooding Jr. movies. Hey, <laughs> what about his uh, fifteen-minute appearance in in the three-hour Pearl Harbor? Oh yes! Oh, he's so good in that. Oh man! Also, Cuba Jr. I remember this is the this is what I remember about Cuba Gooding Jr. I remember when Pearl Harbor came out, and he was in the trailer for that movie. I was so excited. I was so excited to see him in Pearl Harbor. And I went to see that movie with my friend, uh, Kyle. And we were watching it. And I was so mad that he was barely in that movie. And then also it was just a terrible film. Uh, I rem- It was one of the first times I remember being disappointed because of... I thought an actor was going to be it it was essentially I thought a black actor was going to be in a more prominent role than they were and I think it was like the first time I like conscious consciously registered that you know what I mean yeah and for me for me similarly but not the exact same thing because I ended up not seeing it was I this was one of the one of the first times that I was like looking at a trailer going but are they in it (laughs) because 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 he was like so they kept showing him just doing that one part like the shooting down you know going to the to the gun and then shooting down that thing and like celebrating i was like is that all he does like i was like (laughs) that was one of the first instances of that for me wow yeah do you do you remember liking kuba gooding jr when he was like, do you remember, like, oh. being like, oh, like... I- oh, loved, loved Cuba Gooding Jr. My, the first DVD, or maybe the second DVD that I ever owned was Men of Honor. And I, I loved him. I was like, this, he is the man. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, I thought... I, I remember Cuba Gooding very heavily from Boys in the Hood. And even now, my main memory of him is Boys in the Hood. Because he was the guy in the hood that... I felt kind of closely like they talk about I know we get to it but they talk about like him like in comics and like you know he wasn't the hard dude in the hood he wasn't the athletic guy in the hood he wasn't the super smart dude in the hood he was just the guy in the hood you know right and I just I don't know I just loved that that existed you know um so this is the movie I remember him the most from is boys in the hood and then it became snow dogs no boat trip. Is that the one he pretends to be gay? Yes. Rat oh. race, actually, though, to I, be fair, because I know I sort of joked about it. Rat race was pretty funny. Like, I was, liked Rat race. Rat race was, was a fun movie when dude. I was a kid. I liked Rat race, and it was just like all these people in it, mm-hmm. you know. And Cuba's in it, but also Whoopi Goldberg was in it. It was a fun movie. It was supposed to be fun. John Mr. Lovitz, Bean, Mr. Bean. <laughs> like it was a fun. It was supposed to be fun. I thought it was gonna be fun, but we got it. Like, are we gonna tell the people? Like, we're, we're doing this Cuba Gooden. Yeah, we're doing a we're doing a Cuba Gooding Jr. mini series. So this is a new thing that we've decided we are gonna do, kind of periodically 
throughout and, and it'll be interrupted by new movies. But we want to try um, a couple of these mini series where we look at actors who got to lead a couple of films, but their their careers never were really like, boom, big leading star, you know, and 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 kind of t- and talk about why that was. And, and we do that in a series of films. So we're going to look at their top four IMDb films for the most part, I think. And uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. is our first our first mini series. And I think it's a great one. One, because everybody knows Cuba Gooding Jr., He's obviously had a resurgence with People vs. O.J. Simpson and American Horror Story with his like kind of Ryan Murphy shows. Um, and also he was just in really iconic movies like Boys in the Hood and Jerry Maguire. Uh, and then and, and, and also had one of those careers that uh, is somewhat infamous where they were really high at one point and then kind of dropped off the map. Um, but I think we want to do this with other actors too. So please, you know, uh, tweet at us, uh, email us at, uh, tweet at us at Blackman Podcast, email us at blackmanpodcast at gmail.com um, for some of these um, kind of mini series that you want us to do. I think they're interesting ones like, you know, like a, a Morris Chestnut or honestly, even like a Wesley Snipes, even though we've reviewed some of his movies. Um, but I think also maybe some lesser, some actors who were never super big. I mean, we were we were kind of talking about it a little, flirting with it when we did uh, what, what do you call Orlando, Orlando Jones, you know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think I think it would be super interesting to do, and so we're going to test it out with this, of course, and, and, and do four films and, and follow, you know, Cuba. Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna get to a point the end kind of point like later on his career kind of before it dropped off the cliff when he was a lot older but you know we're going to start from the beginning you know we're going to start from when he was a boy in the hood wait what you did, first off you didn't say the title no i'm saying he we're going to we 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 we're going to end when he was a, a man but we're going to start when he's boys in the hood wait now you're trying to add on <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I, I, we can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing. Yeah. The thing is, we just sort of can't do this. Um, Yo, I can't. I can't. I can't. Yo, whatever. Anyway, Nick, start the show. Jonathan Raylock, James the Third, Drop Welcome to Black Man Podcast. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? I guess the first time I messed up our wait, intro. What? How do you mess up the intro? We do it because I was just promoting the Twitter that. Yo, welcome to Black Man Can't Jump in Hollywood. Hollywood City. Rick and no, Ricky. James, Rick no. No, Ricky. James, no. That's Ricky. Not, James. We gotta do this again. I can't. Rick and no, Ricky. James, we gotta do this again. This is how we're starting. Yeah, no, we got to do this again. It's a great part right, of the no, movie. No, it's restart. a great part. No, everyone at home, Talk we're going to redo a, this. We're going to redo an this. An opportunity. Wait, I can't, do, I can't do Ricky? No, we're going to redo this. I can't do Ricky, no? John isn't going to mess up the intro. You're not going to do Ricky, no. We're going to do this again. All right, and rewind. I can't do Ricky, no? James, <laughs> shut up. We're rewinding. All right. All right. And in three, two. Welcome to Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood. Did you almost forget again? Did you almost forget Yo, what is happening?
How did you almost forget again? Do your part. Oh my god, no, do it again. All right, people at home, this is the one. This is the my three, third time's a charm. All right, here we go. Welcome to Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood. Hollywood City. Out of respect, let's. Uh, I won't do my my signature gunshots. I also won't do my favorite line of the movie. First of all, first of all, that's the, the fact. What that I've done your, every time. That's your favorite line, is Ricky. <laughs> It's a great scene. It's a really great scene. I cannot wait to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's the line. My favorite line is when Ricky gets shot. No, no, it's not. My, it, you know, it's not when Ricky gets shot. It's that sequence. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. We'll talk about it. Oh, man. Uh, so, as we said in the cold open, this is a Cuba Gooding Jr. mini series. Oh, where yeah. we are, are we going to review four, or if we're feeling frosty, five films of Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, and one of there's them. There's no way. Five? There's no way. I'm not doing I'm just five. saying. I'm just I saying. Doing, if, bro. if we're feeling frosty, bro, I maybe, can maybe we want to. Maybe we will want to throw in. Bro, I can barely get the three. Snow dogs. <laughs> I can promise you, by the time we get the three, I'm going to be like, I am done with this. All right. Well, <laughs> like the, this nigga's had enough. The first one, the first film we are reviewing. <laughs> I, can I can tell you right now, I'm even thinking about doing three or four of these, and I'm like, bro, I don't know if I got it in me. Well, this first. It's really funny because. We what? recorded these out of order, and I was like, we're talking a lot about Cuba Gooding Jr. on the second movie we're going to release. Yeah. Like, I was like, what are we going to do with the first one? Oh, there's so much to talk about. I want to talk about this movie, but when we get to I mean, to this like, movie is also very intense, and there's a lot to talk about this yeah. movie in particular. When we get the boat trip, nigga. Right. Boat no, trip ain't, boat trip ain't go, <laughs> like, bruh. Is All boat right. trip, is that on the list? No, no. Okay, no. If it's on the list. I don't know. Then maybe we're, maybe we're getting the five. I'm gonna you know say this right now. I ain't doing radio. I'm I'm not. No, oh, no. We have to do. Not, radio. bro. We doing. We ain't doing men of honor and radio. I saw radio I, in theaters. I haven't seen. Wait, you saw radio in theaters? In theaters. Yeah. I, I haven't seen radio at all. Really? And yeah, I think like I've only seen like you know the trailers and then like maybe like a like if it's on TV or something. I've seen like li literally a scene. Um, but have not seen it. So we, if we go in there, we go in there, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the first film we are actually reviewing is Boys in the Hood, which is a John Singleton movie that came out in 1991 starring Cuba Gooding Jr. It also was, uh, was the acting debuts of both Ice Cube and Morris Chestnut. Uh, Wow. Yeah. And then, and, and, um, Regina, Ki I mean, I think it was like Regina King's first movie. Uh, and also uh -huh. Nia Long is in it. Uh, I forgot where she was in terms of her career at that point. Um, uh, all of these people, obviously, she, she, she was very huge new. actors. Cause she did Friday after this. Uh, and then also, but then of course, it also starred Lawrence Fishburne and Angela Bassett, who both, I, had they done? They hadn't, they hadn't. They hadn't done. Um. Uh. Uh. What's it called? Um. Love. What's it called? The Tina Turner movie. Was it? I know. What's love got to do with love's it? Love's love got to do with it. Yeah. I will say this, and yo, you know what? I don't even care. Especially all these fluid. Watching this movie, I was like, Lawrence Fishburne, younger, was a handsome ass man. Cause I only yeah. see him on Blackish now, and like he's fine on Blackish. Right. But in this, I'm like, my brother. 
All right, dude. He had the yeah. beard before the beard was like cool and shit. Yeah. yeah. He is. I mean, he did a couple, like, not thinking about Matrix, but he had done like Fled and stuff. Like, he was like. What well, you know what? Well, not, you know, at the time, not at the time of Boys in the Hood. I just mean when he was younger. Well, I'm he, just he was he, more known than than any of these other actors yeah. for sure. But the thing that's so tricky about this is that he was mainly known at this time. He was in Apocalypse Now when he was like 16 or 17. Yeah. But at this point, and it hurts no. me because I'm reading about yes, and I'm reading about it right now. Was he like, really he, known? He his and it and they're literally saying oh, it right yeah. now. Yeah, Apocalypse Now was in 79. Yeah. So hell yeah. But 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 he was a kid. The thing he was known for, yes, and John Pee- knows what I'm getting to. He was known as Pee Wee Herman. Was it Cowboy, Cowboy Bill? Curtis. Cowboy yeah, Curtis. Cowboy Curtis. <laughs> Cowboy Curtis. He was known as Cowboy Curtis. He was. He was. He's known as Cowboy, as Cowboy Curtis, Curtis, man. Uh, right. I'm looking at other stuff. He was. He was in School Days. Uh, he was in. Uh, what is this film? Class Action. Is that a was School Days before this? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. School Days was in 88. Uh, uh, well, yeah, how big of a role was he in School Days? I don't remember him in School Days at all. Was he a teacher? His character name is Dap. So. I don't yeah, remember him at but all. But he's in not in the days. poster, so he must not have been a huge character. That's um, Yeah, no, no way. He's not even in the... Oh, wait, no. He's, he's, he's first build according to IMDb. Yeah, but IMDb... But according to IMDb yeah, they, they don't do that right. It's because he's the right. most famous person now. He was in the color purple. It's like he was in movies. Like he, he was never, he was probably never like a leading dude. Lawrence Fisher is a good person to do a freaking movie. Oh, we got to. On. Uh, and so is Ange- Angela Bassett. <laughs> Hoodlum, like. We just, we just abandoned this. Like, <laughs> we just abandoned Cuba. <laughs> Honestly, I no. would much prefer no, to do. No, I'm so glad we're doing Cuba. Uh, uh, but, but Lawrence Fisher and. Also. Yeah, two out of the his four his top four are Matrix movies. So, yeah, but he also was done. He's done. We might not have to. He's done enough leading roles. Like he done. He did Fled. Like he's done some stuff where he was the lead, though. I loved Fled. Oh, Fled! (laughs) Such a Fled was non remembered movie. I I loved Fled so much. Super fun. (laughs) Super super fun. And it's interesting. I'm looking at Angela Bassett. I'm like, wait, how much stuff did she do before this? She was in a couple of TV show. Uh, appearances, a couple appearances in the Cosby show, this TV series called A Man Called Hawk, uh, Tour of Duty 227, which I think Regina King also was in a, for a bit. And then I'm, I'm trying to look at movies, though. I don't know if she did uh, a film before this, if this was her first big film. Who, Angela Bassett? Oh, she was in Kindergarten Cop, but she was a stewardess, so she probably wasn't. Yeah, she was in the part. opening of the movie. And uh, she was in a TV movie called Line of Fire. But no, I think this was her first, like, major film role. That's crazy. Yo, John Singleton put all these people on. He put all of them on. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's dope. And he did it <laughs> as I mean, a think young about, kid. Think about how many amazing actors are in this movie who got, went on to have very long, great yeah. careers. Yeah. Um, and, they were, and they're all brilliant in, in Boys in the Hood. Oh, sorry. We haven't even done initial thoughts. This is a movie with, you know, directed by John Singleton. It, it, it wound up, he wound up being nominated for Best Director. First black person ever to be nominated for Best, best Director and also the youngest person ever. Yeah, man, that's crazy that it took this guy to be nominated. Like, he's the youngest guy. He did it on his own. And I'm reading that, you know, people offered him like 100 
grand just to not direct it, just give them the script so someone else right. could do it. Yeah, but people really, that's the thing. He wrote the script first, and people yeah. love the script, yeah. and he fought to direct it. Yeah, because like he was in the USC program, like he was in the writer's um, program, which is also very interesting because even though it's two different writer's program, the USC writer's program helped um, John Singleton get seen, and then the Sundance program, which I think, I think Ryan Coogler also went to USC as well and was in the same program, but Sundance helped him get Fruitvale Station. So it's like these little things that help people. And it's funny because we see these movies, we see Godfather, we see, you know, Goodfellas, all these like mob movies that people think are like so great and so historic, but like how many hood movies? Because the thing is, these mob movies are about mobsters. They're about gangsters. But like when we talk about like African-American gangsters, the movies are always seen as less than, you know? Here are the movies that were nominated for Best Picture the year that that year. Uh, it was JFK, mm. uh, <laughs> uh, The Prince of Tides. Uh, it was a movie with Barbara Streisand. Great. Um, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, the animated yeah, movie. Yeah, this was the f- that was the first time a an animated movie was ever nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, the one that won was uh, Silence of the Lambs. And uh, and then, hold on. Sorry. What did I say? I said Silence of the Lambs, Beauty and the Beast, JFK, Prince of Tides, and then Bugsy, which is like a Warren Beatty movie. I remember Bugsy. Bugsy was nominated for an Oscar? It was nominated for Best Picture. Wow. Yeah. And Best Screenplay, too. So the... So, uh, so yeah, so that those are the five movies that were nominated. Boys in the Hood wasn't nominated. It was nominated for Best Director and Screenplay, and it lost to Director, who won, was the director of Silence of the Lambs. I don't even remember who. And then the um, Screenplay that won was uh, Thelma and Louise. Does no one think that a young, like take his race out of mm-hmm. it, that a 22-year-old kid directing a movie that is, Oscar, even Oscar-worthy script last is not deserving of best director. You know what I mean? Like if a kid came out today, right. say like a little white kid came out today, Damien Chazelle, right? He's super young. You know, like everyone loves this dude. They always talk about how young he is, but he's in his 30s, which is considered young. This kid was 22 in the 90s? Yeah. Yeah. In I, the 90s? Yeah. So <laughs> there's... <laughs> It's doing weird. Like, yeah, the computer's doing weird things, so I'm like freaking out. Anyway, uh, so yeah, this is we said like a lot of these actors' first movies. The the story of how it got created is really interesting. We'll get into that a little bit more. It made fifty seven point five million dollars at the box office, which is incredible. It only had a six point five million dollar budget. Uh, it did really well, and it's Cuba's first movie. It's so funny because I'm reading this thing, and like the average, the only thing that came out around the same time was Terminator Two. And you know, Terminator Two costs over two hundred. It costs over a hundred million to make. Made about two hundred. Um, but what people keep saying is that the average per theater for this movie was better than Terminator Two, and they got no credit for it. Wow. Uh, yeah. So wait, here's some interesting backstory about this. It's I just found it. Um, Stephanie, I think her uh, Elaine, Allen or Elaine. Um, she is an executive who was working at Columbia Pictures, black woman, of course. She was about to get promoted. Um, she wanted, when she was, she told the, she told 
uh, Amy pa- Pascal and Don Steele, hey, when I get promoted, I want you to replace me with another person of color. So she was interviewing people. So she actually, John Singled went in for an interview, but when he went in for this interview, he pitched her Boys in the Hood as the movie. He didn't get the job, but she wound up getting the script from him, read the script, like cried when she read it. She was determined to make it. Uh, You know, she tried to start pitching it to Columbia Pictures. They were like, eh, I don't know. Um, you know, and because it was like this is before like the '90s black film renaissance. Uh, except Amy Pascal, Pascal was like, no, this is really good writing. So they were kind of like they kind of like partnered up. They found some other producers to jump on board. Uh, and then I guess the last piece of the puzzle was Frank Price, um, who had let's see, it says Frank Price, uh. He was one of the few Hollywood executives to come from a writing background. He worked on scripts for Westerns. He had green-lighted hugely successful films like Kramer vs. Kramer, Ghostbusters, and The Karate Kid. And uh, so that's when they were like, they were like, we love this script. But then they try to give John Singleton $100,000, like you said, so that he couldn't direct. But he was like, he turned it down, which is incredible because he's like 22-year-old. Imagine, like, I mean, would we have the balls to do that? You know what I mean? Like, here, it's like, hey, man, we love this script, but you're not a director. So, like, even though he went to USC. Yes. I was turned down in two seconds. So, they, he turned down the $100,000. Uh, but then uh, they finally they finally allowed him to do it, you know? Um, oh, they gave him, like, they were like, hey, well, fine. Go and audition some actors. And the people he auditioned, I remember him saying... He said that Cuba Gooding Jr. was like one of the first people and Morris Chestnut were like just one of the first people who auditioned mm-hmm. for the role. And and he was like, great, Cuba's playing this part. Uh, Morris Chestnut's playing that part. And they were like, well, we have more people. And he was like, no, 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 it's, it's good. <laughs> like he didn't see. That probably happens all the time. Can you imagine? Can you believe that? Yeah, it's like, but also... Look how good they were, though. No, I know, and yeah, I, it's like, and and also like, especially because understanding how his behavior has been on the project so far, like he's just been very much like, I know what I want, um, <laughs> like yeah, and and they he, were great, they killed, and he knew he wanted Ice Cube before he even got the movie greenlit. Like he had talked to Ice Cube he about it earlier when Ice Cube was on the Arsenio Hall show. He told him. I'm I'm gonna make I'm writing this movie. I want you to be in it. You'd be perfect. And so the studio didn't care about Ice Cube, actually. They didn't really know who he was. And um Didn't Ice Cube audition? Wasn't it like bad? Yeah. He, he yeah, and he had to audition again. John Singer was like, now nah, you I know you can do it. Like we gotta audition to you again. Wow. Um Yeah, and then they finally started to get it made and Apparently, like Singleton told uh, one of the like, producers, like he wanted to work with as many black crew members as possible, uh, and you know they like really like made sure they were getting like like this was going to be like black excellence. Um, anyway, it. It, it's so crazy about that because one of the facts is he was inspired by um, Spike Lee, 
but almost in the reverse way. It was like he tried to get a job as a PA on Do the Right Thing, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't hire him. So he was like, fuck it. I'm going to do it on my own. <laughs> and I think it's something so interesting where <clears throat> they shot this in the hood. And even with a predominantly black crew, they saying they still had a lot of problems. Like fist fights kept happening. They had to hire like security to like follow as they were shooting just to make sure if a drive-by happened, they were okay. And the thing is so interesting, Nia Long was like, because Nia Long is also from South Central. So a lot of the cast and crew lived in the neighborhood. So she's like, yo, I, I mean, I think I live like 10 blocks away. I could have walked home, but that's not safe to do. Right. Like, that's how crazy where they were shooting was. They shot, like, I think a lot of times I think about The Wire. Like, I again, I didn't watch it that much, but I remember being a PA on, like, one episode. And, like, they, they shot in the Blue Light District, bro. They shot in the hood. And I saw people, like, paying off people around the way to just let them shoot the project. And so for me, it's so interesting because I think about what this movie probably did for South Central, for the people and for like people of color just to show that like, oh, we're more than just hoodlums. But the fact that they had so much trouble shooting in the hood is so fascinating. It's like, yo, I'm trying to, we're trying to do something great right now. We're trying to make people yeah, see Yeah, but the hood is still dangerous. Yeah, and it's like, we're trying, right. like, let I me mean, do but this. The, and that's, like, but that's also it, right? Like, it's like, that also exactly. is kind of the message, like... That's almost quite literally that there's a line in the movie, like it's why are circle. there no why are there no cameras in the hood? Like <laughs> I mean, Ice Cube's yeah. monologue at the end, which is so interesting, is that it's so deep because he goes, you know, what is it? Either they didn't they don't know, they don't care. Like and it's so interesting, like no one I think about this all the time. It's like to when we think of the hood, we think of a certain type of thing. We think of like just people killing each other, we think of poverty, but we don't think of families and and the happiness we don't think about the fun we don't think about the fun people have at a cookout you know like i think about that woman in chicago where was she, where was she chicago where she called the police it's like mm-hmm. yeah you don't think about the enjoyment people are having like you don't know what black happiness looks like because you're so used to hearing yelling and shouting and when you see that kind of joy you're still nervous like people are still nervous yeah so anyway that was a lot of build up but let's do it man initial thoughts man uh, Do you want me to start? Sure, you go ahead. Have you seen this movie before? Had you seen it? Yes, I have seen okay. it before. What do you think? Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, I probably saw it like two times before. Um, I mean, I'm just going to be real. I think this is one of the greatest movies ever made. Honestly, it's, it's so good. It's so good on so many levels. The acting top to bottom is incredible. Cuba's amazing. Ice Cube's amazing. Honestly, I like. I, we can never talk about Ice Cube being a rapper again. I watched this movie and I was like, no, Ice Cube, like he's an actor. Like he he is such a good. Maybe he has a limited range, but who cares? A lot most actors do, to be honest. He knows how to um bring that part of himself out on the camera, and it's just like he has a presence. He has um just that charisma that you makes you want to watch him. And I mean, he was so amazing in this movie. Morris Chestnut was so good in this movie. Uh, Neil Long, you know, Lawrence Fishburne, Angela Bassett crushing it in this film. Um, it makes me mad that it only got two nominations. Like, I'm, it's awesome for John Singleton, but nobody else was recognized for this movie, which is insane. I don't know how none of the actors got a nomination. Uh, it's kind of crazy. And 
and it's and it's a perfect example of Hollywood just not. Uh, it's a perfect example of the Academy not looking at films with black cast. Like they just. I don't think they thought they were acting. Hear me out. No, I you're think, I think, I think probably right. See, then when people see like when people see like someone acting, quote unquote, what they think their version of black is, they're like, oh, that's just what they normally do. Whereas it's so funny because Cuba Gooding, Morris Chestnut are nothing like these characters. Right. But when I look at like, a, and this is no shade, I always bring them up, but I always feel like I'm shaking. But this is that this like this isn't Jennifer Lawrence and Silver Linus. This is the Emma Stone and Alan. I'm like, they might be closer to those characters. Then it then when you see these thespian black people when they have to act hood yeah. or urban, it's like that's not what we fucking do in our everyday life, but they don't see it as a stretch. Right. They probably thought this, oh yeah, man, that's what they that's what, of course, man. Like look at him. He look Cuban like he look he's from the hood. Like that's that's who he is. They don't know this motherfucker was a, a backup dancer to Lionel Richie. Right. Uh, um but I mean like anyway, the writing in this movie is so on point. It's so good. So many of those scenes with Lawrence. Fishburne, like breaking it down, <laughs> incredible. Um, we see, and okay, it, I will say this: my big thing with this movie that I love about this movie so much is it shows you how much systemic racism, how much environment, how much situations put an entire group of people in. Uh, it, 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 it makes an entire group of people have to adjust and uh, adapt to survive their surroundings so much so that you're like, of course. It's like, on the one hand, it sucks that these people are, that there are all these people shooting up other other people. You know what I mean? Like, And there was a moment in, in the beginning of this movie where I was like, oh, is this movie like very much going to preach on like, don't do black on black crime? You know, and it's like, yes, they talk about that, but they humanize the aspect. They humanize everyone, even the dude, spoiler alert, who kills. Um, what was Morris Chestnut's character's name again? Uh, anyway, Ricky. Yeah. Even the dude who kills him is like you kind of see a moment of humanity in him. You know what I mean? Like you see humanity in Ice Cube, you see humanity in all of them. And it's so it's so tragic, but it's such a great reflection of like what's happening in our society and it's still happening. And like, honestly, it hasn't probably changed at all. Like even remotely <laughs> since this film was made in 1991, uh, which is kind of insane, but man, yeah, I, I love this movie and I think Kubo was so good in it. It's like, Oh my goodness. You really see, you know, the star, his star power, um, but yeah, that that's me. That's my initial thoughts. James, you want to? Uh, sure. I I mean, this movie is fantastic. Um, I just it's so crazy how relevant the movie is. How um, it it still relates to things that we have going on today. Um it's you know the movie itself is like poetry you know it's very high art and i think it deserved way more accolades than it got um i it had been a while since i had seen it so there was stuff um 
stuff landed in a different way than than it did before, and and um, we could talk about them when we get through to the to those moments. But like, I mean, and just the acting also is just like is just fantastic. Ice Cube is is so great. Um, Cuba is so great. Morris Chestnut is so great. Um, the uh, the um all of the adult characters as well. Like, like I, you know, it's funny. Cause like for me, like Lawrence Fishburne has always been like a, a, an old man, you know? Um, but like not an old man, but I, but I was looking at this movie going, I wonder if it has something to do with this. Like, because he's his dad, but he's like a younger guy because they had the kids so young, like that. He's just always sort of <laughs> seemed like, yeah. you know, like an old, an old man, kind of a, a person. Um, uh, but, Hold on. Her name is Tyra Farrell. She the mom? Just, yeah. Oh, she just destroys in this. She's so good. And like uh all of her moments are just wonderful. And we and and then the last thing that I want to just say as far as initial thoughts go is that we talk about this a lot, but it um it's just really great to see black people on screen and to like hear them uh, talk like, like a moment that I love in the movie is like, quit staring at those boys with your fast ass. I just like love that part. Like, like just that being a line in a, in a movie is like, it's just like great to like, uh, just see, uh, enacted on, on screen. We don't get to, we don't get to just see those very real moments like that um, because of the way that Hollywood goes. So, I mean, those are my initial thoughts. I, I'm excited to to get into the nitty gritty. Um, I want to say something. This, this isn't a brag, but this is something that is is more shade to me than what I'm about to say. Uh, totally so, about to be a brag. No, no, no. And no, it is a little bit of shade. It's like, so Tara Farrell, uh, I've only booked one thing that's important. Tara Farrell was like, the bigger star in my episode of Chicago PD, right? So I got to meet her very passingly. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I am very upset because, and this is, again, no diss to Chicago PD or anything like that, but it's like, this woman was so good in this movie in 1992. She deserves more than guest stars on, like, procedurals. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I, 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 I... it's hard for me because, again, I was super excited to get that gig. But when I think about the fact that, like, she was there too, it just feels like, yo, you're you're bigger than this. Like, why do you like you're like I understand you like this is definitely a role, great. Like, I'm not trying to shade it. But it's just like, but you are like, like you did great in 1992. You know what I mean? And to me, like every time I watch these things and like this movie again, I I I, lo- I fucking love. And John, it's so funny. You said something like, yo, I'm going to admit it. Like, this is one of the best movies ever made. And it's so interesting because I thought the same thing, but I was like, why am I questioning whether or not I can say this is one of the best movies ever? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we live in such a world where, like, yeah, you can say The Godfather is great, right? You can say Godfather 2. You can debate which one's better, right? And then when I talk about Do the Right Thing or Boys in the Hood, it's like, ah, yeah, they great. No, these fucking movies are great, dude. Yeah. And it, it, they, they tell you about like culture things that we don't get to see, but for some reason, because they're black, they're tainted. Right. Just because they're black, that's it. Right. There is more yeah. heart in this movie, and don't get me wrong, Godfather Two, I fucking love, but Godfather One in particular, there is more heart in Boys in the Hood than there is in Godfather. And I'm gonna say, I'm gonna tell you how because the right, fucking yeah. thing that Cuba has to go through is different than what Sonny has to go through. His struggle is different. 
the way the world around him affects him is different. Because not only like does Sonny have like the other the other mafia families and like he ain't got to deal with other gangs and cops, right? And poverty, right? And the fact that people look down on him, and I'm like, why? Do... This movie hurts when I think about it. This movie legit hurts because it's so fucking good. These people are so great. And when I think about Morris Chestnut, because we bring up Morris Chestnut a lot. Uh, or a couple of times is like Morris Chestnut and Nia Long considered black actors yeah. who do black movies and I'm like and people say it like that's a bad fucking thing like I, I've said I wanted to be colorless and I'm like for what you know what I mean like for, for what they right. get approved from white people hmm. like, I give two fucks like you know what I'm saying and I think about it we, we talk about we talk about like Cuba like Cuba Cuba purposely did movies after a certain point that would be considered crossover because he didn't want to be considered bl- like not that he didn't want to be considered black, but they were racial movies. And I'm like, for what? Cause you know, like I get that in the '90s was a different world than we live in now, but I'm like, man, why? I feel bad that I've let people affect how I view black movies, and this movie proves it. This movie proves that that's true. Like it, that's I really let them true. affect me, and it's right. fucked up. Right. Like, I feel like I yeah. questioned this movie being good because it was black. Right. Because white people were like, hey, man, that's a black film. And it's like, fuck y'all, man. This is a great film. It's a great fucking... This movie has heart. Take out the fact that they're in the fucking hood. This is literally like... Um, was it Lean On Me? Is that the one with all the white boys and Stand shit? Stand By Me. Stand By Me. It's like, this is a fucking Stand By Me. I mean, there me. are literal references to Stand By Me. Is it? I'm like, yeah, yo. Yeah, yeah, Like cinematic references. Come yeah. on, bruh. Come on. And like, I'm looking at this movie and why didn't it get fucking nominated? Because for what? Because y'all don't get it. You know what I mean? Because they needed to nominate more boring Bugsy? white shit. Get the fuck out of here. You know how, do you know how often we watch as people of color and even women to a sense mm-hmm. we watch movies with white male leads and it's like, cool, we can still fucking watch it as art and not be like, oh man, it's hard for me to relate because I ain't a white dude from Beverly Hills. Like, mm-hmm. nah, nigga, if the movie's good, it's good. Right. Period. It, 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 like, this shit angers me. The mere fact that I'm simply realizing that I met this woman and I didn't realize how important she was mm-hmm. when I met her. She's I now feel trapped. I'm looking at her IMDb. She's, you know. But they, they, they're all recurring. In, they're all get, like this movie. Yeah, I mean, smaller roles, but she was in School Days. She was in Jungle Fever. She was in she was White in the Men Can't Jump, bro. Mm-hmm. Like I, <clears throat> Poetic Justice. There's only know. there's there's only a few times when we do the podcast that I that I really feel this way. And I think I, I think this is how I feel. I think I don't I don't 100 percent know, but there are sometimes when we're talking about about a movie when I specifically feel this way, which is like obviously like where where this movie we compare it to these other movies that are considered classics like Godfather, et cetera, et cetera, right? And there's like a there's like a, a romanticizing of like that era and yeah. that style and that right right and that genre and and it, and it's it's probably just because white people see other white people, they look at it, they think it's cool, it's r- raw, real, whatever. It gets elevated, right? Right. Uh, it does not happen the same uh, uh, with with black movies, like movies that star black people like this, because they don't get it, they don't identify with it, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when when we really like for as for as mad as Jara is, I feel it, and I like am, and I support it, and wa- and want that. And then I go, wait, fuck Oscars, like f- like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's so like like I I I start to feel like um, 
you know, why do I even want their nomination? Why do I even want their stamp of approval? Like, like we, we know that black people made this great movie and like, I don't even need to hear. I don't even need your good job or your pat on the back because like, fuck you guys, you know, you don't get it. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't, I don't yeah. always feel this way because obviously the whole point of this podcast is like, is like these movies deserve awards and accolades and, and attention. But like, it's like this movie is so great and it didn't get anything for exactly those reasons you were saying, Gerard. And it's like, so it's so it, it, it's frustrated. It's so, it makes me so angry. Like I'm just like seething inside because of that, because of like, because of the lack of credit, because of the lack of attention. It's like, you know what? Fuck that. You know, it just makes me, it makes yeah. me so mad. I'll say for me, no, I totally, I totally understand and, 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 and agree with like a lot of that, that sentiment. And I think for me, I'll say, yes, it's about the, it, like the recognition is important, you know, can, can feel like it's important and, and, and getting eyes on it can feel like it's important. And also, um, uh, you know, we don't need, we don't need any of that stuff, but I think, I think what it comes down to for me is what you were saying about why, why people don't like watch this movie or, or, or why so many white people like, and, and you're, you're, you were saying that it's because they can't see themselves in it. And I actually, I don't like, and that is something that we say a lot, but I'm wondering, is that really true? Or is it, or the, is the actual thing that they do know where they are in this movie? They are on the outside being a part of a culture that is oppressing and causing all of the horrible stuff that's happening in here. Mm-hmm. And they feel, and they don't feel good about it. It's like, it's the reason why they're much yeah. more okay with watching a slave movie because they can divorce themselves from the white people there in in a, in a certain fashion and be like yeah slavery was messed up like my ancestors were messed up but I'm not them but to watch a movie like boys in the hood that's happening right now this very second right now they have to recognize why do I care more about international matters why don't I why do I watch these films and I think all of these people who are living in the hood are the gangsters who want to shoot up places. Why do I watch this movie and would rather err on the side of the older black man who's like, it's, it's all these hoodlums running around. They're doing this and they're doing that. And that's the reason. And, and Lawrence Fishburne's character is like, yes, that's happening. They need to stop that. But let's look at why these things are happening. Let's look at the greater reasons. And they have to recognize that. And I think to me, that's why I get mad when I'm like, you need to see this film. You know what I mean? It's like, yes, it wasn't necessarily made for you, but you do need to see it. This is my thing about about that. It's like, I I think what you're saying is 100% correct. I think it's 100%. I think that's why we have so many fucking slavery movies. And I swear to God, I know one day we're going to have a fucking slave comedy. I know it. I feel it in my heart. I fucking know it. I know that trash is going to exist. I fucking know it. I know it. And that's going to be it for me. And we're going to be in it. (laughs) Probably. Fucking probably. It's just like, I just fucking know yeah, it, Yeah, what man. are you talking about? I, I have my slave comedy script in my bag right uh, now. Let's get, let's get it to Hollywood. I know. <laughs> let's get it. <laughs> but it's one of those things where like, I think about like why we don't see a lot of movies 
set in the Jim Crow era. It's literally what John is talking about. Those people exist now. Those people, listeners, I love you guys. Allies, I love you guys. But that's some of your grandparents. You know what I mean? I think about the, which I just found about, I think about the move bombing in 1985 in Philadelphia. Like the police bombed the neighborhood, which actually happened in 1985. Like, I mean, that is, I mean, is, is a little bit older than us, but like that's our lifetime. You know what I mean? And I'm like, 1985, a police, a city police force bombed mm-hmm. a block. Like, not a, what the fuck? And I, and I think it's one of those things where, to me, every yeah. time we review one of these yeah. movies, it doesn't make me angry. So I just want to cover, it doesn't make me angry, man. It just makes me, it makes me sad because you realize, and I know we watch a lot of things on the news and we can see how black lives are viewed. But when you realize that it's in 2018 and some of the same things from this movie are happening now, you realize like, dog, not that much has changed. Like, yeah, we've had some progression, but at least right now in this Trump era, everything that we thought or people thought we got past or we thought we're getting better, we realized, nah, it is literally there now, but now people are just brazen and just don't give a fuck about trying to hide it. You know, at least in 1992, people were like, no, man, I'm not being racist. I'm not being racist. Nowadays, people be like, you using racism as a wrong word. Like I just saw some fucking uh, uh, Republican dude talk about like now the worst word is saying straight white male. I'm like, what, bro? Like, did anyone else see the CNN thing about what's worse, cracker the N word? And I'm like, you can't spell the N word. It literally said the the, the lower third said N word versus cracker. You spelled cracker, but you couldn't say the N word in full. So how are you competing? You know what I mean? Like, I'm looking at these movies and I'm realizing you don't give a shit. And the thing is, no matter how much we progress, no matter how many great things we do, we still have to prove ourselves to be worthy enough to exist in life and to feel like we deserve to be. It's hard to watch this movie, man. It really is. Like, I'm looking at Lawrence Fishburne and I'm thinking, this is 1992. How often do we see a black dad give advice to his son? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Okay. All right, man. Let's, let's start, do this. Let's, let's talk about it. I mean, this shit's killing me. Like, what are we supposed to say about this? I shit? mean, this movie starts with gun- gunshots. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah, it starts with gunshots. You start to hear gunshots before, like, you see stuff. And but it's like this thing. You know, you, you have this kid he's living with his mom. Uh, uh, mom was going back to school. Mom's bro. going to school. Wait, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just have to say the first image we see out after the like words about like how often a black male is is killed, a young black male is killed, and we hear the gunshots, is just the stop sign. You know, it's great. Oh yeah, it's yeah. like just oh, like yeah. a. Gr- and this is the second oh, yeah. John Singleton movie that we. Um, uh, have have uh, reviewed, you know, and the 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 first shot after the titles is always really powerful. Um, I'm noticing. <laughs> what was it? In- uh, okay, sorry. I just wanted to. What was it in higher learning? Mm-hmm. Higher learning. It was the Nazi. It was the Nazi gotcha. uh, kids. <laughs> gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yeah. So, wow. Yes. I mean, goodness. It's so funny that. I love that he knew he was going to direct the hell out of this movie because, oh my God, is this movie directed so well. Like, so yeah. well, honestly. Um, not even like one of those like where you're just like, yeah, like it's good. It's a good direct. Like, I'm like, no, I can like see like some of the cinematic storytelling that he did. And I was like, oh, this is, so, this is really great storytelling. He's doing it with the camera. He's telling the story with the camera. Um, and we have... 
you know, we have this little, uh, this young boy. He's, you know, living in, in the hood. Do I think we see the first thing is like, it's, 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 it's young Cuba and his friend. Like, yeah, and they're like, it's this, this, this is the, 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 was it, was it called? Stand by, Stand by me. me. Stand by me moment where I like walk in and he, is does, this a, we see the dead body? Yeah, no, no, yeah, no, dead it is. no, it is, it is. So it, it's them walking and he is him, it's a girl and the other little boy, and the little boy goes, Do y'all want to see something? Right, you're okay, you're right. It so is, it, op- it opens, you want to see a dead body, uh, which is, yes, that he is, doesn't tell him it's a dead body at first either. Yeah, he just says, You want to see something? And they're like, What? And he was like, Do you want to see it or not? Yeah. And he's like, All right, yeah, and it was, yeah, it's just some dude dead. They're like just staring at him. Yeah, we see like it kind of the young Kuba would like take it in. What is that kid's name? We but, man, let me tell you what's so interesting about something like this, and it's something I keep thinking about recently is that when it comes to black boys in particular, if if, if someone commits a crime or if someone does anything, they are always referred to as an adult. Like no matter what, like, and I'm thinking right. about with this kid. I mean, what are they right now? Like nine, ten, ten, like ten years old. And this kid has to see a dead body, has to take it in, and has to make an adjustment on what this means to him at 10 years old. Right. Because at yeah. 10 years old... I mean, he, and the... No, go ahead. And the kid the kid is like, the, the kid goes, you know, it's turning yellow. It's when it separates when it separates from the plasma. It's like, oh he, just kno- he just knows... He knows the like, science. That's, how, that's yeah. how, like, around it he is, that he just, like, knows that. That's like... What is it like? What is it like when you can't be a kid? Right. Like I think about all these times where, like, you see these white, bruh. We live in a world where white kids can shoot up places and make it home alive, but a black dude with a cell phone is dead. That's the fucking world we live in. Mm-hmm. I can look at a world where, like, a yeah. black kid, a black man, is selling fucking single cigarettes. Single cigarettes ends up dead, but a white dude can go into a church and end up and get fucking Burger King. Like that's the world we fucking. I live like we live in a world where like. Literally, people can't have a barbecue without police. We live in a world where a girl who gets into an Ivy League can't sleep and take a fucking nap from studying during finals week mm-hmm. without getting the police called on them. And I'm like, there's nothing that is changing. I'm looking at this movie and it's like, what is changing? I can't even tell if Barack helped us anymore. <laughs> no, hear me out. But no, I, feel I, like, no, I, like, I, I can't tell what will it take for people who don't look like us to accept us for just fucking people, bruh. Right. Like, that's it. The... It was so, it's so, it's so sad. Like you have this scene where the kid is seeing a dead, they're all seeing a dead body. Then you have a scene where he's in class. You have this white teacher who, a white woman teacher who for sure, you know, if we saw her backstory, she's overwhelmed. She's overworked. You know, getting paid little, getting paid nothing, dealing with a bunch of kids who uh, a lot of them are in living in single parent homes, single mom homes, they they're all in the hood. They all are they all are dealing with so much psychological trauma that children shouldn't have to go through. You know, dangerous neighborhoods. You know, parents who are overworked who can barely who can kind of barely afford to things and all this stuff in these public schools. So of course the kids are, you know, talking out of turn and blah 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 whatever. But what happens is like you have all this. So he makes a joke. Mm-hmm. Which is what kids make jokes. Yeah. So, but of course, because she's overworked and about and all this, and she has as much as she probably wants to not be racist, as much as she wants to think of herself as I'm doing good, I'm like trying to teach these kids and help these kids and tough love and all of this. She has 
unconscious bias within her. She's looking at these children because that's the way the media portrays them as these aren't really kids. These are little heathens. Little kind of little, little little. They're they're little gangsters, you know. These are little hoodlums. Like they want to. They their their nat their nature is to rebel. And so he makes a joke, and she's like, "Well, I'm going to teach him by having him." come up and teach a lesson. Oh, yeah? Can you teach the class? And he's like, yeah, sure. Goes up there, you know, says the thing that they're all from Africa. Amazing. I'm not from Africa. I mean, so much just within that sentence of the other little black kid being like, not wanting to associate himself with Africa. Mm. What is that about? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's just so much even in yeah. that. <laughs> talks about the difference between, like, the, 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 the anger between Africans and African Americans. Like, which is something that we're dealing with. Right, where know? he... African butt scratcher. I remember, I remember saying that. that. I do too. And I, I wonder too. if, like, was it this movie or was it just a saying that was also just people, kids were saying? Because I, I remember saying that. I remember hearing that. I remember saying Same that. Here. It's really... Yeah, it was um, probably a thing and then, and then you know, became even more popular with this movie. That's usually what happens. It's like, definitely was probably a thing. And, um... So he says that, and then, of course, you know, Trey, like, gets in his face. They start fighting. Uh, he hits that man with, like, a ruler. <laughs> you know, with, like, a pointer stick. My man just, yeah, and I, uh, I, <laughs> it's so interesting to me that this kid is, is that he gets a, into a fight with is already a kid who has somewhat been established as, like, maybe a friend. Right. You know, it's like maybe he knows him already, and maybe they're friends, but that's who the fight is with. I, be, yeah. I feel like that's a, like a very powerful thing. Yeah. And then, and then we cut and we see him with his mom and we find out he's got suspended for three days. Yeah. I he mean, got suspended for three days. And it's like, this is what happens in schools where black kids are punished with much more severity than white kids. Mm-hmm. And, and you build this thing where they're being told by everybody in their life that they are not, that they are bad, they are bad, they are bad. And what happens is like, they're like, well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to amount for anything. But you see the difference in Trey's life because his mom, his mom is like, you know what? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go do my thing. I, and I know that I can't be here to give you the discipline that you need We've already agreed you're going with your dad. Let me before we even get to that point. Yeah. The way that this teacher talks to the mom on the phone. Oh my God. And this is one thing I will say, uh, <laughs> growing up with a single mom in the hood, I've heard someone talk to my mom like this. Uh, not in the same tone. I rem- I, re- I remember very right. vividly where they just questioned everything. It was like yeah, what do you do? What's happening at home? No, it was the thing. Right. It was like, what's happening at home? And I'm like, and, and as a kid, you don't know what the fuck any of that. I mean, you know what's happening, but you don't you don't understand yeah, the yeah. disrespect. Right. And you don't understand the class it takes for this woman to not flip the fuck out. Right. I mean, she asked, what's happening at the home? Are uh, you working? Are you working? Where's the dad? Is there a dad? I'm like, right. And you're doing this from a phone. Like yeah. this, like this, like this is trolling before we had the fucking internet, bro. Right. Because you can't even say this shit to her face. And I'm like, the mere fact that this mom who was in school even made it up to that point where she had her son. Who to an extent, yeah, had bursts of anger, but like seemed polite, seemed to know right from wrong, and she was doing that by herself while going to school and working? Right. I know. There's so many moments in my life where I know like teachers didn't like me, and I, of course, never thought about it being race, 
but it wasn't until like I think it wasn't until I think my mom said something in passing once about maybe one of like like my fourth grade teachers being like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if she I don't know if it was a race thing or whatever. And I was like, wait, what? Mm. Uh, because there was this teacher when I first moved to Jersey in this all like I was the only black kid in my class. Uh, this teacher was like, oh, he's always acting up. He's all, he's always like talking back. And I was like, <laughs> was always a good kid. But I remember specifically like she would say something. And then, you know, I mean, I'm like this now. Like I, I would be like, oh, that's actually, that's not right. Like I'm reading this thing here. Like I'm a little kid, but I'm like, yeah. I'm like, no, you're that's wrong. not, yeah, you're, wrong. you're wrong actually. Like blah, 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 blah. And she's like, don't, like, don't tell me that I'm wrong. Even, even though she was, <laughs> you know, but she of course didn't like this little black kid like talking back to her. Um, and I remember she had like a meeting with my parents to talk about my behavior. Um, and I was just thinking about that. And then I was also thinking about, you know, not to, not to like put my, dad too much on blast but my dad also ha- my dad had to my dad lived with his father like his parents split up and i think they i think they like had a choice uh mm-hmm. and and some of his siblings stayed with his mom and 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 he went with his uh with his dad and i was kind of just i couldn't help but thinking about that with like mm-hmm. lawrence fishburne taking him in but you could tell like lawrence fishburne like cared about him whatever happened between yeah, you know, which I love. Like we, they were still we, amicable. You know, they were so amicable. You could see that they they couldn't be a couple. Like they would have these moments of fights or whatever, but it was. But they still had, they still had respect for each other. You know, which was so great to see that, and and you know, his dad was like teaching him like the, how to live in the hood. You know, like yeah, and and it was tough. But it was like the right amount of toughness with care. Man. With care, he loved that kid. When he told him, when he's like, "You're you're a prince," you know, and like you see, like little Trey, like yeah. light up, like that moment to me was like amazing. <laughs> and he's like, "You're a prince," and then he's like, "But I'm the king," and I'm <laughs> telling the prince <laughs> to go to bed. I mean, I it's so dumb, but I love seeing a black dad say, "I love you" to his son. It's so funny because I watch Blackish and I love Blackish, but the, one of the big jokes is that Trey doesn't like Junior. <laughs> you know, like that's the, that's one of the big things on the show. It's like Junior's like his least favorite kid, and I'm like, you know, I understand that's all done in jokes and just, but I'm like, yo, to see a black dad be like, nah, man, I love you, dude. It's just such a cool, yeah. Because because again, I mean, I'll be real. I say for me, like I've I have not experienced that in the real way that has ever happened. Uh, or supposed to happen. So to me, it's like it seems like t- such a uh, a thing that I, honestly I can't even say it's movie like because you only see that in white movies, you know. Uh, yeah, but him going to live with Lawrence Fishburne is like you could tell Lawrence Fishburne wanted to have him, like yeah. he wanted him there. But apparently, like he was like, no, you could take him if something happens. Though he's coming over here. Mm-hmm. So I love that he wanted that kid, and I love that he made him rake the leaves immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, bro, you you in a new home right now? I got the Time bag. Responsibility. Go do this work. Uh, and he yeah. even gives him a line like, "You should be happy." Like most of them are mad; they don't even have a dad. You know, I yeah. There was a great line where, um, you know, and it's such a kid thing to say. Where Trey was like, "I mean, what do you have to do around here?" Like, because he has all these chores, and he's like, "I mean, what are you doing?" And he's like, "Oh, you want to know what I what I have to do?" My responsibility is, uh, putting food f- putting food on your plate putting clothes on your back and a roof over your head. 
Mm-hmm. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> All, yeah. Also, also, I love that um, uh, Lawrence Fisher's nickname was Furious. You yeah, would Furious that? Styles. Yeah. I was like, yo, my man has a rapper name. Uh, yeah, man. I like. It's hard for me to talk about this movie because the movie is just. Yeah. Is oh, it's. I, I all right. I, James, give it to you. like there, there, okay. There's a part in this movie, Doughboy, for instance. I love because Doughboy was the one who defended everybody. Like when they took Ricky's. Also, I love how much time they spent with them as kids. I feel like they yeah. spent way more time than I remember. Yeah, like 25 minutes yeah, or so, which mm-hmm. felt good. Yeah, I loved it. Like when Ricky gets his basket, I mean his football taken. That even though he knows he's going to lose this fight, he still tries to get it back. Uh, I felt right. I grew up with a kid. I love. I, I love, love that because he kept saying, like, he kept saying, I told you not to do that. I told you. And then he stood it, up for him. He's got to defend him. That's his brother, man. And I think there's something very interesting about that character, Doughboy, which I'm going to touch on later. And, like, I grew up with a kid that's like this, who I probably bring up all the time. I, 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 you know, like, he ended up going to, I guess, prison or, or, or juvie. But, like, he was, he was a little bit little than everybody, but he was stocky. But he defended everybody. Like, if anybody was to fuck with you, like, he didn't. It didn't even matter if he was there to figure out. Like, if I started it, he's like, "Nah, man, but you don't mess with my people," you know. And it's like some, like that kind of protection and that kind of like love is something that's so very interesting because I feel like people always betray gang members and 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 black people from a uh, 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 quote unquote hood as like heartless, as like mean and aggressive and as violent. But I don't think people understand the amount of love that there is, and I. And it makes me sad every time I see somebody say no homo because I'm like, no, nah, man, ain't nothing wrong with expressing love for somebody. You know what I'm saying? Ain't nothing wrong with like you seeing one of your right. boys and be like, yo, bro, I ain't see you. I haven't seen you in so long and embracing somebody, you know? And I feel like that is what this movie showed in these little moments, especially with Doughboy. I think like with yeah. Doughboy, it's like he shows that, yo, I'm hard, but I, I give a fuck, bro. I do. So yeah. And what's, what's also really great about this moment in particular is like it is it is already pretty clear that uh their mom favors Ricky over Doughboy. Yes. But yeah. like Doughboy is still out there like fighting for Ricky, you know, like that like st- even though there's like very clear favoritism, he's like that's my brother, you got my brother's thing and that that's also really cool. Yeah, that's one of the I mean, one of the most brilliant uh, parts of this film is Doughboy's character, and that you know it it was it was very clear in the movie, but like it wasn't harped upon this idea that the mom had a clear favorite and preferred Ricky over Doughboy, and how that affected Doughboy. Like he, it's not like he didn't care about that, you know. Like he loves his mom. He loves his brother, but then he gets like upset with his brother and they fight a couple times. And but you know that's that that anger that is coming out of this frustration and this want, this need for the love of his mom. Because everybody's giving you know? up on him. His mom technically And his mom, yeah. Gave up on him. And and then and then I mean later on blames him. I mean, like it's so heartbreaking. Um Oh, that part. Oh, that part. And I, was it her? I don't know if it was her or... Oh, and we learn later that they have different fathers. Yeah. And, yes. And something... It's a great reveal later oh, on, too. Oh, my God. Too. It's such a great reveal because... Wait, what is it? You, you hear, like... I forgot what it is. Like, oh, like, 
man, he's man, your mom's always harping on. Him. He's like, oh yeah, you know, she loves Ricky. And she loves Ricky because you know they got different fathers, they got different dads. And I think her mom, the mom, at one point says to Doughboy, I'm pretty sure it was this mom, like. Oh, you're just like your father. Like, doesn't doesn't she say that? Oh, I didn't clock Maybe. that part. I I pre- I'm almost positive. Like, she says something to Doughboy. Like, yeah, so you just like your father. And I and I remember thinking, damn. why isn't she saying that to Ricky? And then we find out they have different fathers. You're like, oh, damn. Like, clearly something happened. Like, obviously neither of these relationships, you know, like ended well. Who knows right. what happened to Ricky's father? But clearly she had more. There was more love in that relationship than there was in this other one, and she yeah. and, and she's like and and I think unknowingly is taking out the anger she feels for Doughboy's father on her son, mm-hmm. you know true. right? And, uh, and then like of course adds to that with like oh you know you're not as smart you're getting you get in trouble more you're you're not mm-hmm. as fit you know all this other stuff and and it's like and again you see like. You, it's you. It's not about blaming anyone. It's not like, oh, what a bad mom. You know what I mean? It's just like, but look at this situation. Look at all these different circumstances that these people are in, and they're trying to survive. And of course, like you end up with like a lot of this tragedy. Uh, anyway, but lo- the Lawrence Fishburne and Cuba Gooding Jr. scenes, uh, like it, when he was young, but especially I when they were older, bro, I can't. I mean, they were so. I found myself smiling for like most of yeah. these scenes. You know, I can't. When he, yeah, when he cuts they do his a hair? really, really great job oh, of like God. in that scene. That scene when he cuts his hair, it's literally like just the nicest moment between a father and son. Like it's like just like a really nice family moment. They're like playful with each other. Like it's like like it, the movie is Boys in the Hood, but then you're like kind of watching like a scene out of like that could you could definitely see in like the Brady Bunch. Not not to completely downplay it, but like you know what I mean. Like they're just like yeah, they're definitely they're definitely best friends. These two, you know, and it's so cool because I mean, yeah, that barber the the haircut moment when he just keeps leaning his head and he's like, yo, what? And he's like, you getting old, man. <laughs> And it's like you can't. And he's like, "Nah." What do you say? Like, I'm getting stronger. You getting older, something like yeah. that. And it's like it's such a cool moment because it's so playful. And then he hits him with the, "I'm only 17 years older than you." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, I forgot right, you right. had him when you were a teenager." Right, right. And he's like, "All oh, them other dudes, they old and fat." He's like, "That's about to be you." <laughs> and I just think that's such a fun, playful moment. And then to have to and have the openness to talk about sex like yeah. that, like to be able to like have an honest conversation about. I mean, I know you gave me rubbers, but to talk about like how we try to have sex with this woman and the whole thing about the pill. Yeah, and he was like, yo, fuck, like, yeah, you may not have kids if if she's on it, but you you could get an STD, bruh. <laughs> yeah. And I man. I I not to get too sentimental, but I was just like, uh, I couldn't help obviously but thinking about my relationship with, with my dad. And like one, I was I remember like Feel like kind of like getting older and like feeling that thing of like testing, like uh, really? testing the authority. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like being like, I don't know, man. Like, oh, you you think you could take? I don't know. You think you could take me still? And then my dad being like, I will destroy you. <laughs> 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 and then, but then also, but then also the, I just I personally like really admire like how how Lawrence Fisherman that father character was like. 
both teaching his son, but also saying, also telling him like, you can make your own decisions and I'm going to let you make your own decision. I'm going to let you fail if you need to fail. But I want you to understand this is what you, this is what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. You know, like he's got it. He doesn't, it's not abusive. You know what I mean? Like he's not like saying what you didn't wear rubber and like slapping him in the head and beating him or you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It's, it's not like this, like I will dominate you. It's like, I'm really trying to impart to you wisdom and I'm, and you need to hear it, you know? Um, and, and we see a couple of times, I mean, we definitely see it in the end. I mean, that scene is so impactful to me where he like gets kind of gets talks to him, you know, Kuba hears it, disobeys, but then in the car, it like you can, I could just see it. I'm like, you see that in his head is just his father's words playing over and over. And he's like, let me, let me, let me get out of the car. Yeah. You know, and I, I was like, he, John Singleton did that so well because most directors and most screenwriters would make that, they would say it, they wouldn't show it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they'll put it, they'll make it so obvious they would, they would have that scene but wouldn't have Cuba running out and then making the decision later. But yeah. it's so much more truthful to have him still be in the heat of the moment you know, give up this gun, but then jump out the window, go with the boys, and then as they're driving there, he actually gets to think about it, and when he starts to think about it, he realizes, no, my dad's right. What am I doing? And even though it's going to hit the beautiful yeah. part of... Oh, go ahead, James. Well, just, there's there's the a story that's also being told, though, is like the story of of the of the, what I want to say, like of the drive-by like the, like you know there are two guns we count two guns but there are four people and like there's something about just be having a crew like there's an there's there's power in that right and then there and then we also get to see the sort of unspoken like he says let me out doughboy looks at him like there's no words exchanged it's just like I thought you had my back, you know, like there, like there's all kinds of, of, of other elements of the story too, that I feel like is also being told in that moment that is just so powerful and strong. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And it also, I think the key part of that scene too is Doughboy, man. I, I'm fascinated. I, absolutely. Cause Doughboy looks at him, doesn't call him a name. Yeah. Doesn't get, doesn't even try to convince him to stay. He just waits for him to say it again. Pulls over, man. Doesn't even see any, doesn't even look back when he gets out the car. He knows. He's like, yo, bro. And he has that moment at the end where he says, like, yeah, man, you shouldn't have been in that car in the first place. You shouldn't place. have been in the car in the first place. And he knows it. Yeah. He, like, he has that, like, I know I'm going to be here. I have to stay here. There's no, yeah. I'm not getting out, but you can get out. And I think it's something to that, man. And I think, and, and but they I, don't say it, though, because yeah. most movies, they have that exact conversation. Yeah. They say, you got to get out of the hood, man. Like, yeah. you smart, brother. You smart. You need to get out. And the person's like, I know, but I just want to stay. Yeah. They talk about it. In yeah. this movie, it's all done. It's the acting, and the acting is so on point that you get yeah. it. I also want to skip back it's to, so like, good. when they were kids real quick, to, like, the first night that Trey is at the house and someone tries to break in. Oh, shoot. That's right. And Lawrence, first off. Oh my has God. the crazy revolver that puts holes in the door. But the, the most important part to me- I love how he shot that. He clearly shot it, and the guy, like, was the guy there? Like, I don't think the guy was there, because there's no way he missed. Wait. There was no way he missed. There's no way he missed. Wait, but, oh, sorry. That actually made me think- What? When they see the dead body again, I thought maybe that was that dude. I thought it was, too. 
Isn't it? I think it is. I, I think, think he it is did that kill dude. him. He killed him. I think it is that yeah, dude. Yeah, okay. Because the dude only has one shoe. Right. <laughs> it <laughs> is that dude, right? But the most important part to me about this scene is, and this is what I think, you talk about this a lot, and again, I don't know what the right or wrong is, but there's a different type of nuance, which I think John has been harping on, uh, when you have a black director dealing with a very black issue. So when the police come the first time, the white cop is very like lackadaisical, like whatever, whatever, but the asshole is the black yes, cop. Yes, I love that. And to me, it's like growing up, even to this day, I am more fearful of a black cop than a white cop. And the thing is, it's because of what this guy says. And the thing is, uh, and yes, I'm not talking about all cops, I'm just talking about whatever. And I don't need people really, oh, okay. What I'm simply saying is that sometimes you get this feeling where like African-American police officers is like, they're pissed they have to fucking deal with you. And they're pissed of how like, you know, every time a black person gets pulled over or a black person gets shot, it's like, not only are you making black people look bad, you're making me look bad around all these white folks. Exactly. And so it's like, it's a, it's like a triple style hatred that goes towards you. And this black cop was so disgusting that yeah. when he shows up the second time, I was like, I've seen this guy. Like I know, right. I know this. I know this cop. You know what I mean? And I'm like, the mere fact that this is a thing in 19, 1991 when they shot it, and I could tell you growing up in DC, or even when I moved to PG, PG was known to have fucked up cops. New York is known to have cops that treat you a certain way. No matter what, Ferg, like you know what I'm saying? The fact that we all can kind of relate, no matter where you live in America, and it's like 2018. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like what? Again, what is changing from this point? What is changing? I just want to keep harping on that. This is this was shot in 1991. What? Okay. Cool. We got problems with police. And oh, when it? we got it, we got it in 2018. It's exactly the same. There's nothing. What are we doing? Which is... <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you look... if you th- No, if you think about TDE, if you think about like the stuff Kendrick Lamar talks about, if you think about like some of the documentaries on, on Bompton, it's like, cool. They still in Compton. We see what's happening. Like, tell me how much is changing from Compton right now. You know what I mean? Like, what, what, what is the progress that's happening and why is it being stunted? You know? Like, I... I Again, like it, it, this movie is very fascinating because it's starting to bother me when we review these movies from the 90s and I'm looking at shit and I'm looking at the jokes and I'm like, these jokes still exist and I'm like, what progression have we done as humans since this movie came out? Yeah, and I also love that the line that Lawrence Fishburne says to the cop, the cop is like, is there a problem? And he just says, is there a problem? Yeah. Problem is you don't know what it is. You're something like yeah. that. It's like the and the, it's a problem is like you don't know what the problem is. Like I was just like, damn. It was like so poignant. Uh, so many great lines of this movie. I think Lawrence Fishburne's character, and I'm gonna say this. I think he was ahead of his time because I think while watching him, I'm like, I, oh, absolutely. I'm like, you're every not every, but you are what black men aspire to be today. Like, right. Super well educated. Not saying they weren't back in the day, but like, there's this era of wokeness that is happening between like black people and like, you know, like the clothing lines we support now are like very black owned, very pro black. Mm-hmm. And he was all, and he, this dad is all about that. And mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, you were, you were ahead of the curve. Right. You know, like, and the, and the other thing I'll say is yes, absolutely. And I love, love, love that John Singleton gave Angela Bassett a mo, this moment where they were in the restaurant and she, <laughs> And they're talking, and then he gets upset. Lawrence Fisher gets upset. He stands up, and she's like, sit your ass down. Yeah. She's like, I'm, I ain't through with you. Uh, you want me to make a scene in this whole restaurant? Sit down. Oh. And she sits down, and then Shut she's up. like, I know. You do, you like, you're a good dad. You're a good father. You love your son. You te- you know, you're teaching him. 
And I know you're doing what most of these other brothers out here aren't doing. But you think you're special because you're doing that? He's you're not your special. Job. You're doing your job. You're doing what black women have been doing for since the dawn of time. Like she was literally like, she was yes. like, stop thinking you're special. Yes. I was doing this before you were doing it. You know, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Like, and someone says it about him before. The mom, like uh, Ricky and Doughboy's mom, says that like early on when he's younger, he's like, "Oh, your dad over there. He, how come you don't play cards with us no more? He think he better than us, right?" You know what I'm saying? He's like, "Yeah, you're doing." My uncle used to say like, "People are like, oh, I, I want a present when I graduate high school." He's like, "Nah, nigga, you supposed to graduate high school. Like, that's not, you know what I'm saying? Like, when a black dad right. does something great, it's like, you're a dad. You're supposed you're supposed to look after this kid, right? Supposed to love this kid. It's your fucking kid." Right. But it, I just, man, I loved that. There's no but. That moment was so great. And I love that he didn't have Lawrence Fishburne like give a retort. You know what I mean? Nope. Like he kind of like took it in. And I, I just thought that part was like so ahead of its time. I mean, this movie is definitely ahead of its time. I mean, everything about it was so fascinating. It was like, <laughs> so I mean, good. I mean, once you, once you get to like, was it? Basically, like, so when they kids, you realize like Doughboy and I forgot to deal with the curls. What's his name? Like his, like his. his oh yeah, sidekick. Who, who, who Chris. Was, Chris. Him and Chris, Chris get, you know, get arrested for stealing when they're younger, and then the moment they're older is like the cookout, the welcome back party, right? Right. Which I thought was gonna be from when I they were kids, they but got, it's like multiple times. Yeah. Apparently, he like he it, went yeah. in. Uh, yeah. Which I thought was crazy. He got arrested for stealing. Now this is my thing about ten-year-old kid got put in a cop car with handcuffs because he stole something. Yeah, bro, he ain't no kid. That's only that only black only only black children. Yeah, he ain't a kid. <laughs> Nigga, we again we live in a world where a white boy shot up a place and they took him to get McDonald's. I mean, it was a Burger King because he was hungry. I will never let that shit go. The mere fact that this kid in Santa Fe made it out, made it out. Yeah, he didn't get no bruise. They didn't they didn't wrestle him. T- and it, I'm not I'm not advocating violence. What I'm simply saying is that you got to look at the way the world is showing us. This little kid didn't get fucking wrestled to the ground and he was strapped. Not only was he strapped, but he killed 10 people. And he made it out safely, unharmed. You tell me I can't stand in the backyard of my fucking grandmother's house with a cell phone without you feeling threatened? Like, I mean, I, like, I don't know what else to say to people. Like, I don't know what else to point out. Like, I'm looking at Doughboy and I'm looking at him coming back out. And my thing is, my theory is Doughboy's gay. My theory mm. is Doughboy's gay. And it's because of this cookout scene. It's because of this conversation. When this conversation hits, like, the other dude, Chris, is talking about, like, you know, having sex, whatever, whatever. And Doughboy has a very weird reaction to it. It's mm. like, like first of all, it's like shy, it's bashful. Like you can tell Doughboy has not had sex, mm. but you also could tell that like when Doughboy looks back to the women, those women were beautiful. None excite him, and also the way he interacts with them is like so overly aggressive that you can tell every time someone tells him to shut up, he does. And you're like, why are you acting like that? Clearly, clearly, this isn't who you are. What are you compensating for, bro? Mm. So I'm like, imagine being this dude, and maybe this me looking too much into it. Being technically a quote unquote thug who happens to be gay in South Central. So a mother who obviously doesn't like you. Right. Goodness. Like straight up, your mother doesn't like you for not being the other brother. Right. You know what I mean? It's like that kid has no what do you what, like, what do you do when you're a kid and your only outlook on life or your only future as you see it is to die a thug? Because that's what you think the world right. expects of you. Yeah. And I know people are like, well, you know, that's up to him to like, you know, want more in life, want to do more. I'm like, that's true, man. But you also got to think about the fact that him just trying to be nonviolent and trying to love his mom and trying to get attention. That may have been all he knew how to try to do. Yeah. Like, if you didn't know any other options, 
Like, obviously, he wasn't playing football. What other option did he have? What other option did he know? His mom wasn't telling him. Nobody was saying nice things to him. Mm, man. And that's at the cookout. This is the first time we see them as adults, bruh. We see Ricky, who's the good kid, already have a kid. Wait, who is... Um... I know that the uh, the dude who was in the wheelchair, I forgot his character's name. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah. Chris. Uh, no, Chris wasn't the one in the wheelchair. Chris is the one with the curls who had, who had the... Um, Chris is the one with the... the, the pop- yeah, that was Chris. In the, Chris was in the wheelchair. No, Chris... No. There was another one in a, <laughs> There was another one in the wheelchair. Chris was the one with the pacifier. There was another dude who looked a little bit older who was actually in the wheelchair. It was... Uh, Oh, no. Don't Chris. they say pick Chris up yeah, when no. Chris, Chris is not in the wheelchair? Yeah, no. Chris is the one in the wheelchair. Who's the dude with the pacifier then? Well, it. I thought because it says Chris and nobody got arrested for shoplifting. So I thought Chris was the one with the, the pacifier, but... Uh, uh, no, I don't think so. I think... Um, hold on. Let's, let me look it up. Oh, his name is Dookie. Dookie. Dookie is the one with the pacifier. Yeah. All right. Sorry. You're right. You're right. You're right. Chris is the wheelchair. Dookie's the one with the pacifier. Uh, the dude Chris with the wheelchair. He he actually was in a in a wheelchair. Oh, really? That actor. Mm-hmm. And he like <laughs> apparently like came up to John Singleton and was like was like, "Yo, man, you got a role for a dude in a wheelchair? Like who just got shot? Like and it's in a oh, wheelchair? Oh, wow, really? Yeah. And he was like, "Yeah, put him in the, <laughs> put him in the movie. Yo, God bless, man. Um, I'm um. Yeah, which I loved. I love. They never really talk about it, except there's like one passing moment where I think Lawrence Fishburne's like, "Do you want to be like? You want to end up like Chris?" Yes, in a wheelchair. Yeah, and that's at the end. Yeah, um, just I, like yeah. Um, I mean, this movie's so yeah. crazy because you have this moment. We get to see, we get to see Ricky, you know, his girlfriend. Like, uh, you see them have like this really crazy kiss right in front of his mom, which is insane. <laughs> but then you get to see. Uh, the adult Trey, who was like the cool dude who everybody likes because he works at the clothing store in the mall, you know? Right, and he's, yeah, he's got a job, he's got some money. He's you know, he has a car. A First car. off, him and his dad, their love of like Volkswagens is kind of weird. It's like, so funny. It's I like, think it's such a perfect car for him to drive. It's like, it, like, it looks kind of cool, but it's like not it's cool not for cool, the hood. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like not even close. His dad has a red one, he has a blue one. Yeah. Like that's so weird. That is so weird. But, I but love you that. know, it's just like, it's probably because his dad was like, Volkswagen, like, this safe, is a, you need safe a safe car. You safe need car. a, yeah, you need a cheap, a well made car that's not going to break down. You know, don't be getting these hood cars with hydraulics. Like, don't get no Cadillac. <laughs> you have no money for that. Like, but also love how, and this may sound weird, but when we see Nia Long, you know, she's dressed very, like, cute, and you see the other women just talking about Trey. Right. Just like, you know, you got a girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. And she takes it for a minute. And even when she tries to say he is taken, they don't get no fucks about it. Yeah, and that was Regina King. Oh, it was? Yeah, it was. Yeah, she was like, does he have a man? He does have a man. She's like, oh, oh. And they, like, they high five and just start laughing. They care nothing about it. Well, her. you better watch him before someone takes you on. Before they takes yo. I mean, I thought I thought this whole interaction at this cookout was great, man. I I I, I love the moment of again. I, I think Doughboy's gay, which I think would be great if they would address it, but I guess not. But like when when Trey walks up, and the mom was like, you know, hopefully somebody had the stuff that you have when you brushes off. Doughboy lights up, like Doughboy legit smiles, stands up, and gives yeah. my man a hug. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I loved his little like. He's like talking to me alone. She's like, "Why are you talking to me?" Like he's like. Oh wait! Oh hold on, hold on one second, and then he just walks away and just stands <laughs> to, to like chatter, chatter like. 
how am I doing? Oh, good. She's gone. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that was so, so funny. But also, it was a very trash move, and I'm happy because... I'm happy Nia Long defends herself because he's basically trying to force her to have sex. Yeah, he was, he's like, yeah, because he has all this pressure about like the fact that he hasn't had sex yet, mm-hmm. and he wants to have sex, and she's like a Catholic, and she doesn't doesn't want to have sex until she's married. Yeah, and she's like, I don't even know I'm going to marry you. Right, I love that. That Ugh. part was dope. It was like, I don't even know my, like, yeah, like, we cool. Yeah. But I don't know if you're the one. Yeah. I love that you had that. Yeah, man. It was like, yeah, she stood up for herself. And then at one point, like, I know they almost had sex, but like, it, I don't know. It was like, I like that she defended what she believed in and she was strong about it. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that was cool. Um, a lot of this stuff, I mean, uh, what, what else? Yeah. What else should we talk about? We were jumping around a little bit, but like, well, I think, uh, uh, what happens after that? We, I mean, we see, I, uh, go ahead. Oh, no, never mind. I was going to jump ahead. Like, there was that, I just wanted to talk about that scene with the um, recruiter. Oh, so the recruiter scene was dope because it was such hype because he was about to be scouted by a school. But then also, the way they set up the, the recruiter coming and almost like a drive-by was about to happen because he was like yeah. creeping up and it was like, who is this guy? Like, are they doing drive-bys and like Volkswagens? <laughs> and then all his boys were still on the on the porch. I know. I was like... <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was so... It was like such a scary moment, but then also like they weren't necessarily trying to play it for that. You know, like we, we just sort of like lived in this moment of like, oh, is everyone about to die? Or also is this just someone in a car? Yeah. Which you never know. Was so real. It just felt so, it felt so real. I also loved the, the sound design during this scene. Like all of the helicopters and all of the sirens and, you know, they're like trying to have this interview, but, but just the outside is, is impeding upon it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's something that's so fascinating because it's like, it's like, um, there's always a sense of fear. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, the mere fact that, yeah, like this recruiter technically could have been somebody trying to kill him. And like you saw, you saw the boy kind of like break to see what was happening, but he didn't know. But then also how they greeted this dude, to me, was their way of being friendly and welcoming, but could come off so aggressive. It's so aggressive. It is. But you could tell like that was them. <laughs> it's like a it's like all of all of them, they're all like hanging outside. They got a 40 of their hand, and then like the dude's like, like, so like you giving out scholarships? Like, can I get a scholarship? Yo, let me get a scholarship. And it's like Bro, chill. And he's like, like, shut up, fool, man. What are you doing? <laughs> um, but it's funny because, like, yeah, he's trying to be kind of nice, I think, to everybody. Yeah. Like, he's like, they're trying to be nice to I him. I know. Like, and it was like, oh, thank God it's a black recruiter. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, I guess it was for, was it for USC? Okay, it was for USA. Got it. And it's so interesting because when he goes in the house and the mom is super nice and the baby comes out, the recruiter goes, oh, man, is that your little brother? And yeah. he's like, nah, that's my son. And then you see him take that in yep but in a judging way like a hundred percent you see him judge him like oh god yeah and that's when he tells him about the sat score right like he has to get like above a 700 or something and i wondered in my head if he didn't see that baby if he wasn't in the hood would the sat score matter i i I don't know but i think i think 
I think yes. I think like he needs the score to. He already has he has a two point three GPA. So yeah, like, like and, and you know it's just like oh you just need to get over a seven hundred. I actually noted that too, and I was like. It's interesting that, I mean, he has a low GPA, so he's obviously not doing super well in school, but it's just also interesting that he's also kind of being told, like, all you have to do is just get over a 700. Like, just make sure. I didn't take the the SAT, so I'm like, I don't know if this is a good that's, score that's, or not, but it's, it's like, not, it's it feels like he's telling, yeah, it feels like he's telling him to not try to get the high, you know, not get the high score. Like this is like the lowest you could possibly get over a 700, you know? Um, yeah, the highest score. Uh, and I thought that that was interesting. Like, it, like it's not, it's a challenge for him, but also not a challenge really, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The highest score you can get on the SATs then was like a 1600. It's, That's it's a, higher six, now, right? 1600 was the perfect score. Then we like change. I think it the change that I feel like it changed back, but may, I don't uh, know if it's because the SATs and all that. I mean, no, you have to write on it. <laughs> the now. writing, yeah, uh, yeah, and but then like yeah, that that part was really interesting. Oh, right before this, when they were all hanging on the couch, and Ice Cube was like, "Yo, get off the good part, man! You 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 on the good part?" Because he wasn't like he was sitting where not the plastic. Not the plastic. Oh, Matt, that was great. <laughs> Uh, oh, I love that, like, the plastic was on there. I remember growing up and being like, my mom didn't do it, but other people did it. And I was like, yo, it's so sticky when it's hot. Oh, I fucking hated that BS. Oh, <laughs> uh, I loved that. Um, there was so much nuance. You man. had that, like, woman who was, like, a crackhead, and she kept, like, asking Doughboy for, for money. money. And then you had the scene where her her little, like, Toddler is literally walking in the street in and like the middle of the street and almost gets hit by the car. It's just so sad. Um, uh, and you had um, what else? I mean, we have like the 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 scene where they. I mean, the, and this is kind of like sets up the end where they go to Crenshaw, Crenshaw and they're just chilling on the, yeah. on the street with all the cars, and they have this really awesome conversation in the car about God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, mm. which I thought was cool. Regina King had some cool moments in there. Because they come from, which is the part I think we should talk about, because they had that conversation because they come from, um, they go visit uh, Furious, uh, the dad, Trey's well, dad yeah. at work. And Trey and Ricky do. Trey and Ricky, yeah. So Trey and Ricky go visit his dad, and his dad takes him to basically the sign that says like new development is going to happen, which is gentrification. And he talks about gentrification. And again, this is 1991. 1991. Yo, he's like telling people what gentrification Yo, is. 1991, he hips you to it. He hips you to it in 1991. Look at Brooklyn, man. Well, we're recording right now <laughs> is a gentrified building in Williamsburg. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what we're recording right now. I think about where I grew up in DC. It doesn't exist. Like, it there's no remnants of where I grew up. Like, there's like, there's white girls jogging with their dogs. That's what happens. Right. Yeah. Even and, where I, even at 110th, 110th in Manhattan Ave was is where I uh, grew up for for a while, and that was the considered the edge of Harlem, and you could mm. really feel like it. It was like, like where I was, like it was like a little bit. It was not. It wasn't bad, you know, but it was like, it was like a little bit nice, but like we could still hear gunshots at night. There was the morning side park which was not a nice it wasn't a nice park mm. when i was growing up like mm. that was a dangerous park you don't you go in there at night and like you could tell like the buildings after you start getting past and start walking up into past 110th street like it wasn't it was more of a black neighborhood and like mm. 
now that whole area, like all the way up until like 125th is like so nice. Like yeah. it is completely justified. There is a Starbucks. There is a literal Starbucks where my bodega was. Really? Yeah. There's a Starbucks where my bodega was. I, I mean, I think there is like another. I forgot what the, the there there used to be a Seatown Town grocery store, and now it's like it's like something organic. Really nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that stuff is so interesting because it's like what I, I I don't personally know how to feel about it because I I will say my my family moved out of Southeast as I got older. Like when I got to high school, mom was like, "You getting the fuck out of here." I remember it, and what. Lawrence Fishburne says in this moment is he's like, yo, man, it's not about like, he's like, yo, it's these young dudes messing things up, killing each other. And the young dude's like, what do you want me to do? Someone tries to blast me. I got blasted yeah. back. And Lawrence Fishburne hits you with the knowledge of, hey, man, we don't own planes. We don't know people in like fucking Mexico. Like, right. how do you think some of this stuff got here? Like, the only time this stuff got here is because it became a problem to people on Wall Street because the kids in the Midwest started doing it. This is why it's an epidemic. Like, I got friends now, and this is, I promise to God, I'm not shading it at all. I think about the opioids so much, man. I got like one of my friends is now studying to like help people, which I think is great. But I think about the covers. I think about there was a like someone put it side by side. There was a Time magazine cover uh, from 1992 of the crack epidemic, and they had a baby on it, and it showed like the baby in front of like fucking project buildings, like goddamn crying and shit or something like that. Maybe it was a Time, I'm not sure what magazine. But then there was like a face of the opioids. It was like some white girl and her young baby in front of like a fucking brick wall, like a nice house looking sad as shit. And I was like, this is how we portray these two things. This, this, this is how we portray something that affects black people and something that affects white people. It is now a crisis. The other one was an epidemic. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? It was, that it you was need to crack down on it with- Something you had to call a war. With more policing. What, war is what right. you called it. You called it war. You ain't calling war on these white girls. I'm looking at like Maria Shriver go and talk about like, Kids dealing with it. You ain't saying we got to go to war with people, but you went to war with poor black people. Right. That mean, it, it's so tricky. I'm looking at this shit and like, I'm listening to Lawrence Whisper give you this knowledge in 91, man. Saying like, it doesn't matter what happens. Hey, this is why there's a liquor store on every Every corner. corner. <laughs> every corner. I remember growing up thinking like, yo, there was an equal amount of liquor stores and churches. Equal amount. I was like, yo, but it was so crazy because sometimes you go to the churches and, and you know, like the churches wouldn't be packed. But sure enough, you come out of the churches, like, it, it like, the liquor stores might be open. They only would just sell you wine and beer. You couldn't sell hard liquor. It was like, you know, and I'm like, this shit is still On open. On a Sunday, yeah. Yeah, it was like, and there was a couple that would be like, fuck it, we'll sell, you know, hard liquor. But I think about it all the time. Like, my man hit you with this knowledge, and he tells you we got to keep, to keep us safe, we got to keep the businesses black owned. Right. And I'm thinking about, bro, think about what's happening. Think about where we are, man. We're in Brooklyn right now. Like, this shit is crazy. This shit is crazy. Yeah. Man, that's those two scenes back to back were so great. Like those conversations, um, that and then the conversation about God, if God was a she and all that stuff. Yeah. And then uh, why do you keep saying bitch? Yeah, like, yeah. Why do you refer to women like that? Yeah. Which is something I think about to this day. Is like I remember when hip hop started stopped saying the f word, but they still say the b word. Right. I'm like, why, why, why can't we just stop saying both? Right. Um. But then, of course, that's just broken up by some dude just trying to be tough, bumps into Ricky. Ricky talks, snaps back, and then they're, and then <laughs> that sets up everything. You know, he like shows the gat. They walk away. They get an Uzi. They're shooting it in the air. Everybody runs away. Um, you know, it kind of sets up this, this tragic ending. Um, <clears throat> but he goes, they set up this next part, which is so sad, is like, 
Ricky's girlfriend is like, what she wants some ice? What she wants some ice cream? Like, was it eggs or milk or corn something? meal or something? Corn meal, something, something to make for dinner, or whatever, right? Yeah. Send so him to the grocery corn store meal. to get it. Send him to the grocery store to get it. Doughboy and 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 uh, and Ricky have a fight. Yeah. Trey goes with uh, Ricky to the grocery store, and the mere fact that they see these dudes coming, and the fact that it's not like they about to have to fight. Because I remember growing up, for me, it's like if me and Vic was out and we got an argument with somebody. We knew we had to be prepared to fight, not right. prepared to run because we might get shot. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like you're looking at a point where like, yo, we can't even stand right here because they're going to try to shoot us. Right. Like that's the next extreme. Uh, right. They wanted to run. I don't know if I don't know if they thought they were going to get shot because they were like, just the way this like like they were they were scared, but it felt like they were scared because like they were like, oh, there's a bu- probably a bunch of them. They're pro- they probably want to beat us up. Like mm. we need to get out of here. And then, but like the way that more, the way that more Ricky's character was kind of just like taking his time a little bit and like doing yeah. all that. Like, I feel like they didn't think they were about to get hit by a drive by though. I, though Doughboy did know that. Yeah. And like, was like, why are they driving around? Like, and they're like, oh shoot. You know? Ricky, yeah. Oh my oh, God. Dude, that part that, uh, when dope, when Doughboy realizes it was about to go down, yo, it's like, that's when you feel the danger. Yeah. Like, it's like. Oh shit! And he runs in the house, grabs the gat, and yeah. then like runs back out. They jump in the car, and then so yeah, and so uh, they split. They 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 decide to Ricky and Trey decide to split up. But then once they do, the car kind of pulls up. They uh, lower the window. Ricky realizes what's happening. He starts to run. He gets shot in the back with a shotgun. The shotgun. Um, and then Trey's there, just kind of holding him. They finally. Doughboy finally comes, and I thought I did clock that nobody was like call the ambulance. Did you clock that? Like I nobody did. said like call the I, police. Yeah, I did. Yeah, what, what would they do? They took because the right, day is yeah, already exactly. established. We, it takes an hour to get there. Right, we've they established. Not, they're, not, they're either going to take an hour to get there. They're not. They may not come. You know, there's so many dead bodies. We've seen two or three dead bodies just around. You know, yeah, that's like, true. <laughs> oh my god, that's true. We've seen two dead bodies just. We've on already there. seen just two dead bodies just in the street. Nobody cares. Oh wait, before we get to this, before we get to this, I'm sorry. Uh, oh my god, that's uh, right. Before we get to this, they've established that that the, the police don't come. Police take an hour to come, and there are already two dead bodies on the street. There's one part. Okay, we can talk about this, but there's one part I want to go back to before we, before we end. Uh, but like when I think about. And one thing I kept bobbling in my mind, it was like, yo, we got to take him home. We got to take him home. And I'm like, yo, don't take that man home to his mother like that. I know. I like, thought that was, yeah. Uh, the baby's crying. The mom is crying. And then to have the mom, because technically that fight, that, that fight was Ricky's fault. It was, it was literally Doughboy trying to defend him. That fight was because Ricky, the dude bumped into Ricky and Ricky ballsed up. Right. Though Doughboy definitely Doughboy, escalated it. He did, but the thing is, like, the dudes at that point turned, so it was like one of them was going to do it. Right. You know what I'm saying? The, the only thing that could have happened was, like, Ricky being like, all right, man. It's, like, Ricky had to let it go. Right. And Doughboy, as we've already established, will defend Ricky to the end of the day. Right, right. And it's like, to have that mom, and to hear, to hear, to hear the mom blame him, and then to have so Doughboy up. say, this wasn't me. Mom, this wasn't me. And he's trying to hold his mom. Right. And he's like, it wasn't me. And she's hitting this dude, bro. Because she needs somebody to blame. Because she doesn't want to blame herself. Be- because the reality is in that moment, she feels responsible. She feels re- responsible for her son's death. She's angry. She's sad. She has nobody to latch 
like lash out on. So she lashes out on her other son. I mean, because she's fighting against like that woman, even though we don't know what her job is, that woman is raising two sons. She has the girlfriend the, living there and, and a baby. And she's trying to keep it all together. Yeah. Like she's trying to keep it all together, yeah. man. Like I she, mean, this moment, this was a great moment. Like, like seeing it again this time, it's like you know the moment is coming when you know the moment is coming when Ricky's gonna die, and you and you just already can feel that she will find a way to blame Doughboy. You know what I mean? Like, like it's it's just like in the air, and you know she's gonna do it, and then when she does it. It's just like it's like some of the most complicated acting that you can ever watch, right? Like like the 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 all of all of the the rest of the iceberg is just sort of like pouring out in 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 all kinds of ways and it's just like it's an amazing scene. Yeah. Yeah, and uh and then, I mean, I was already crying. I was already crying when he got shot. Coop, the way that Cooper oh, reacted. Oh, my God. When he, when he got shot, I was crying. And then when they brought him home, and then, like, oh, oh also, Doughboy was like, get this baby out of here. But, like, the, the mom was, like, too, like, frat, like. The, the baby shouldn't be seen. The baby's mom was, like, too frazzled, like, to even realize that. But, like, you now you know, like, this other little kid just saw his father, like, his dead. father dead. Like, bloody dead. And then. So I'm already crying. Then we get the scene where, Coop, where you know, <laughs> Coop is just like pissed. Um, oh, shoot. We skipped this scene. The one in the car with the police? With the police. That's how I wanted to come back to. Yes. Because like that moment is so intense because they, get, they weren't speeding. <laughs> like, they weren't speeding. They weren't speeding. And the cop puts the gun to his chin, bro. Yeah, and he's legitimately scared. And what he says that, yo, okay, because you're because you're like, yeah, if this cop, kill, there's nothing I can. What the cop what are you gonna do? Physically this- says to him is what I want people to understand what the fear and the anger is yeah. that happens today. That cop says to him, if I shoot you right now, not, like, I'm gonna get away with it, or like nothing's gonna happen to me. Is that what he says? But, I mean, essentially, that's what like, he says. And I'm like, and he's right, yeah, hundred percent right. There's literally nothing any of them will do about it. And what after this in '91? I'm gonna keep bringing out this fucking. 1991, he says this, and I'm living in a world right now where even at one point, which I guess a year later, two years later, we had Rodney King, where people were like, we got him on tape, finally, we're good. And again, what that tape proves is that that means nothing. No. What, what even Eric Gardner, what things have shown us now, is it means nothing. <laughs> even, when it, even, even when it's on tape, it doesn't matter. How much more so when you couldn't record these things? You know what I mean? Yeah. How much more so what it's not on camera? If you if you're not getting convicted when it's on film and literally all of us can see it, how much more so when nothing was on film and you're just going by people's word? Yeah. Like I got now now we live in a world where people can we live in a world where people can uh cut off a body cam at the at a at a random moment. Say someone gets shot, cut off a body cam so we can't hear what they're saying, cut it back on. And that's not weird. That's, that's not weird. That's not weird in court. It's not like, hey, bro, this dude just got shot and the body cam just got cut off. The audio is off now. We see them huddling, but the audio is off. Is this not, is it, hey, we saw this dude get shot. What happened to the audio? Oh, it was a technical malfunction at the right exact right But then it comes time. back on. 
technical of malfunction. And that's a not weird. And the thing about this coincidence. is coincidence. Coincidence. And this happens. That dude puts a gun to this kid's face, yo, and then leaves like nothing fucking happened. Right. And so then he go. And so and then the scene that I really want to talk about was like, I thought it was amazing. Both of them. And it showed this that we talked about a little bit in Fences. I just want to bring up again the dynamics between black men and black women. And it's tragic. It's really sad. And I and and I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> I just notice it. Mm-hmm. I see this black man just went through try, like oh, I know he had about. a great time he has his dad explaining like this is his day his day is you know he goes with his dad uh, his dad explains to him how gentrification is happening how much white people are oppressing them and all this other stuff he's taken all that in then he goes to hang out with his friends to have a good time when he goes to hang out and have with his friends to have a good time freaking Niggas start fighting. Mm -hmm. Somebody starts shooting. He's literally runs for his life, gets in his car, drives away. Then he has a black cop pull him over, put a gun to his face, tell him I could kill you and nobody would care. Nobody. And there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. So that's his day. Then he comes home and his girlfriend's like, what's wrong? And he's been told all his life. You got to be a man. You got to be tough. This world is out to get you. Man up. Don't cry. He's, he, he's been told all this. So what does he do? When she says what's wrong, doesn't say anything because he's trying to hold it in. What's wrong? Doesn't say anything. Trying to hold it in. He's trying to hold it in. She's like talking to him. She's trying to, she's trying, because she loves him. She's yeah. trying to help him. And so what can he do? He just starts getting angry. He literally just starts swinging at the air mm-hmm. in anger. And then while he's doing that, his emotions get released. He starts bawling and crying. She's sitting on the couch, scared at first, because yeah. she's like, I don't know what the flip is wrong with him. All I know is he's punching the air. He he's stronger than me. He puts a hole in the wall. I'm scared of him right now. I'm a woman. But that's also my man. He starts crying, and then she gets up, and she comforts him. So she takes... Now she has to be responsible for him. So you have the black woman who has to take on all of the pain and suffering that's happening to this black man because of all of the racism and oppression that's going out on the world that he's that she's also experiencing, but he's also at the forefront of in terms of physical violence that's mm-hmm. happening in, 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 in these other ways that she isn't experiencing as much, you know? Um, and so then, so now, she, but now she has to let go of all of her stuff to take the there emotional is. brunt yeah. of what he's going through because he can't emotionally process because you're not allowed to emotionally process if you're a black man in America. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's so it's, complicated and tragic. It's, it's, uh, I know we don't talk about TV shows, but um, there's an episode, and I just watched it before we came here. There's an episode of season two of Dear White People. Um, Ashley Blaine has a monologue in the episode, and it's not spoiling anything, but she talks about the thing that black women have to go through, which is what you're talking about right now, which is black women are still black, which means they still get the same amount of hatred, the same amount of disrespect, the same amount of discomfort that black men get. But then also they're women, and we know no matter what race is, men treat women differently. They treat them lesser than. So they, they still have to deal with that as well. So this is two things, but then also they have to take the brunt of supporting a black man after the world has told them they're not shit. You know, and the thing is, there's so many things that black women do to help support. Like I remember Blackish has a wonderful episode about why black women make a plate 
mm-hmm. format. And, it, and, it, and, it, and, and you know, it's a big contingent through the episode. It's like, why should he do this? It's not feminist. It's not blah, blah, blah. And so this older black woman goes, it's like, hey, you know, we grew up in a world where like these men would go out and get butchered and it was lucky enough that they made it back home. So it was like, if they're going to go out and at a certain time they, women weren't allowed to work or whatever, it was like, if they could make it back home, we felt like we should be able to at least make them feel special when they're here. And I think about like what you're just saying, like this woman, right. the shot is crazy because the oh shot my. is one of the oh famous, there's so, so many good. famous paintings of just like the black woman standing and a black man on his knees just holding and he has nowhere else to go. And it's so interesting as it seems, he's apologizing the whole time. Like he's like, I, I never thought I'd be crying in front of a female. Right. That's what he says. Yeah. Not. So I thought that line was really powerful. Yeah. Like, what like, is that? I never thought I would be crying in front of a female. Yeah. Never. I never right. thought that. Yeah. He's 17 years old and thought he would never, ever, not once, ever cry in front of a, right. a woman. Because has he ever so, seen it's his a dad cry? Line. Never probably, seen him. Really probably. powerful line. You know, he's probably never seen his dad cry. How often, we talk about it on this podcast, how often have we seen That's black men saying. cry on screen? Yeah. But, you, but there's a reason for that. It's like yeah. we see the reason. We see the neighborhood that they're growing up in. Yeah. You saw you show weakness. You're going to get you're going to yeah, get yeah, picked on. You're going yeah. to get taken advantage of and you might get shot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like you have and, and I mean his remember his dad told him like you just like look look people in the eye and he and I I remember he says that and then during that cop scene he looks that cop in the eye the whole time even though he you know he's scared out of his mind. Yeah, because the only thing, because we're looking at the eyes, it's supposed to give you power. It's supposed to make you feel like you're not scared right. of the person. The moment you cut your eyes away, it means the person got you. And like right. him, yeah. There's that. There's that moment. Forgive me if if someone talked about it when I couldn't hear, but um, there's that moment very early on in the movie when like when he when he gets the baby out of the street, and um, uh, oh no, it's not this part. It's a, it's another part. But someone in the car like. Uh, like jumps at him and he gets scared and they just call him a mark and then drive off like uh, that just sort of thing of like you have to at all times be ready to take anything right like it, the, your, your your facade can never be broken right yeah yeah, I mean, so it's, that it's, uh, you know, and then and then we get to this final scene where he has this blood like blood all over him. He's so angry. Tells Doughboy to meet him, <laughs> meet him at his house in five minutes. Walks into his house. Oh wait, before he even gets to that, before yeah. he gets to that, it brings up a point that you say like black women take the brunt of so much. As he's walking, Nia Long comes out and it's like, what happened? What happened to right. Ricky? What happened to Ricky? And he literally is shoving her out of yeah. the way, like shoving her out, not right. even acknowledging that she exists. And it's interesting that you have this moment of, um, he gets to the house and then you see Lawrence Fishburne come back. He tries to comfort her, like, yo, go home, go home. And he rushes in the house. Now you go there. It's just interesting that like, this woman supported you like two scenes ago and now you're literally shoving her out of the way because now you got the streets talking and you got to be a man and go do something to retaliate. Right. And I mean, an incredible scene with Lawrence Fishburne and Cuba with him just being like, Oh, okay. Like you, you a man now, huh? You like you gonna do your thing? Like you gonna shoot somebody? Well, shoot me. Mm-hmm. You know, put and then and he's like, I feel you know. I'm sorry about your friend. I'm I pray for his mother, you know, and his family. But that's and it's so funny because this could sound so cold, but it's it was so, so real. real bro. He's like, that's their problem. You're my problem. I need to worry about you. 
you know? And it's like, you can't go and do this thing. You're going to either you're going to get killed or you're going to get arrested. One of these things is going to happen. And, and you're going to do something that you can't undo. And you can't undo. That's true, too. Um, you can't throw your life away for this. Um, tells him to give him the gun. It's like such an emotional scene. He finally gives him the gun. Neil Long comes back in. And then he's like, yeah, go see him. And then he go, she goes back, but he's not there. The window's open. We see him running or whatever. And we talked about this. Like He gets out of the car. But I also love that they have, when he finally came back, it was like Lord Fisherman was waiting up all night. Lord Fisherman cried when he left. I don't know if you not noticed it. Like oh, they, didn't did make, they, they didn't make a big scene of it. Like when you see Nia Long crying, they show it's a wide shot. And you see Lawrence Fishburne in like in his in his face. Oh he yeah, failed, and he's crying. yeah. You can oh, see that they're snap. both crying. Yeah, he failed. He felt like he thought he thought he had him in the house. You know, and and he waits up for him, and he comes home, and he doesn't. They don't. He doesn't say anything. He's just like he's mad, obviously, but he's so relieved that yeah. his son is home and not yeah. dead and and they don't talk about it. I just thought that was so powerful the Doughboy scene with Dope and yeah and then the last like, scene with Doughboy Doughboy again Doughboy doesn't say anything when he gets out the car and then when Doughboy ends up shooting the guy it's it's interesting because he shoots him a couple of times and he stands there a little bit it's almost like at this point I'm not sure if Doughboy's killed anybody before. Like, yeah, I don't think he has. Like, I don't think he has. I think he's I always think he been has. ready to defend himself. Yeah. I think he's he's been around people who have killed people, but I don't think he's done it. Yeah. So much so then we get to this conversation at the end, which to me is one of the best scenes of the movie, is Doughboy walking over with a 40 and his flip-flops. And he's like, you should have never been in the car. And then towards the end of that conversation, Cuba's like, did y'all get him? And he's like, yeah, but I don't know how I feel about it. Right. Uh, he's like, I just killed another brother. Like, I, I'm complete. I'm I'm completing the cycle. He's like, yo, yeah. it's just it's just a, it's just a cycle, and then someone's probably gonna try to come and get me. And in 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 the in the you know the the yeah. The, and Cuba tells him. And the other thing that I liked was like he was like, yeah, I don't have a brother anymore. He's like, you still got one brother left, you know. And like they're still tight, which was nice. But then yeah, <laughs> like that thing is like two weeks. Yeah, two weeks later, he 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 died. But it's like, could you imagine living in a this... world where you think everyone hates you? And that you have no hope. Like your mom doesn't even tell you you worth anything. Right. Like I bet you his mom didn't cry for a doughboy the way she cried for Ricky. Who cried for him? Oh, yeah. Of course not. Of course not. Ricky's wife or girlfriend um, probably didn't cry. It probably was only. And I think at this point, it probably wasn't even Trey. Trey probably was like, fuck, man, this is, this is what happens. Because at this point, Trey have seen, has seen three dead bodies, one which is best friend. How hard is he at this point? Right. What were you going to say? James? Uh, well, I definitely think Trey cried at the funeral. I definitely think he did. Or like, or like when he found out it happened. Right? I mean, right? Uh, who knows? Yeah, I, but, um, I don't know. I think he was hard. But two weeks? <laughs> like, he was a wreck on, like, two, well, you're, that's prob- it's very possible. Who knows? Um, uh, but this whole scene, like, the, like, this whole scene is like the the movie deserves every single award and accolade for like the last 10 minutes of it. Like everything builds up to this moment in a way that like 
we're just getting pretty much just a monologue from Ice Cube, like explaining every sort of inner feeling that he's having and like it is then giving just the thesis of the the movie as a whole but but in a scene where we see someone where we see a person grappling with this truth with this reality with this cycle um uh, it's just like it's it's it, it's the epitome of filmmaking and like the fact that every person doesn't know this is just the biggest shame you know yeah yeah man it's yeah man i don't know man there's like this this movie like i want to do dear hollywood right now but i don't know who to do it to like i don't know whether it should be to the academy for not accepting movies like this as they do god i mean it was a good fellas you know what i mean like, like i like, I don't know, and, and and it's tricky because I think, I think this shouldn't even be directed towards Hollywood, man. I think it needs to be towards people of color because I feel some kind of way about me personally, and 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 I think that I've grown up loving movies, and I think that with that love of movies that I've been taught to not like black films, and to call it black films, to look at black films as lesser, to to look at actors who only do prominently black films as not being successful. And I think that right. stigma has got to change. And I think that will come from supporting movies with black leads. Honestly, even if it doesn't look good, even if it doesn't look like it's, it's, it's a good movie, because I'm like, we watch movies for white people that aren't good, but they get 20, 30, 50 chances to keep making more movies after that. I think about Ryan Reynolds right now. Ryan Reynolds is in Deadpool. Ryan Reynolds has had crappy movies. Technically, how many movies of his do you like? That ain't Deadpool. You don't like Green Lantern? Fuck no, I don't like Green Lantern. He don't like Green Lantern. You know what I'm saying? What am I thinking about the, the one with the cowboy, like the ghost cowboy? You don't like Blade PD Tr- or whatever? Trinity? Oh, Brad Trinity. Oh, fuck. Think about it. Were you talking about Van Wilder that came out in like early 2000s? You're not a, you're not a huge fan of... Uh... The Proposal? Are you talking about The Proposal? Yeah. I liked Waiting. I actually liked that. Yeah, the movie was good. I, was I just named six that we didn't like. I didn't like waiting really. But my point is, my point is, is yeah. But I could probably name six movies, but uh, with Cuba Gooding Jr. that I don't like. But my point, <laughs> no. But my point is that we that, that is exactly my point though. Right. My point is, is that you can name ooh, almost the same ooh, amount of movies. Point. But the thing is, is that Ryan Reynolds is still here. Ryan Reynolds is still on the red carpet. Ryan Reynolds is still on Entertainment Weekly. Ryan Reynolds ain't never won an Oscar. And this is not me crapping on Ryan Reynolds because I'm just thinking of someone yeah, who came out recently. Cool. But I'm thinking like, he, he, he has never been nominated for an Oscar. Cuba won one. Cuba fighting to get that shot back. Cuba's just working now. And there's no disrespect. It's great to be working, but he, we're not getting the same opportunity. And I think it's a thing where like, you know what? I want to try to start treating black movies is, how yeah. we need to start, how, how Lawrence Schiffer is like, we need to treat black neighborhoods. I ain't going to let motherfuckers oh, take snap. black movies and be like, I got to look at them lesser. It's like, now nah, fuck that. To make more of these movies, we got to support all of the movies. It's true, too, if you think about how, what John Singleton was able to do with a single film and how many careers he probably was able to, to really get off the ground in a significant way with one film. You know what I mean? Like Every successful movie directed, written, starring a person of color will always help more people after them come up. And, the, and, there, and there was a black woman who got John Singleton into the door to begin with. 
the thing is, and again, this is not me preaching to people. My simple thing is like, I like, I like, I, I'm like, I'm not giving up hope on Hollywood, but like, I ain't fucking with them right now because it ain't on them. Like to me, it's like I've we reviewed movies where it's like I will admit that I was like, man, I don't want to fucking watch this movie. And then we watch it, I'm like, why did I not want to watch that movie? It's fucking crazy. Right. It's like, why did I not want to watch this? Oh, because I assumed it was going to be bad because of a poster, because it was an all-black cast. I assumed it was going to be lesser. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, nah, man, fuck that. If we want to help more black people get in advance, I think it's up to us to support even the crappy shit. And this goes to my hatred for Tyler Perry. All it right. does. And I mark it now. I, I, I will watch the Tyler Perry All movie right. and not trash it because my thing is, we, are we need it. We officially reviewing Uncle Drew. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, what? What's that? Oh, no. Uh, you know what? Oh, shit. <laughs> you know. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Uncle Drew. Uh, oh. oh. Night oh. school. Oh. You know. Here we go. No, I'm oh. just kidding. I mean. Uh, no, we get, no, you're right. No, uh, I like that. I like that. Oh, I forgot to say the, one, uh, the last thing I wanted oh, to say Uncle was uh, uh, that shot. I, three moments I cried. I cried when he first got shot. I cried when they brought him home. And then John Singleton knew what he was doing because you had the cry when you brought him home. And then they cut back. They cut over here. And then they cut back to the mom's place. And she's opening up the mail. And the dude got a 710 on his SAT scores. Yeah. 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 I was like, ah! (laughs) Also, it was so bad. (laughs) Oh, man. He got a seven ten. Yeah, so he got a seven ten. I'm gonna say one other part that I loved a lot is that uh, how Cuba was reacting the whole time he got shot. The whole time after Ricky got shot, it was he had this stoic, like just going through shit. Like he almost burst in front of his dad with the gun when he's walking home. Like my yo, Cuba, Cuba is a fucking great actor, yo. Like Cuba is a great. Freaking for that to be your first leading role, yeah. Like I look at the, what's the dude Timothy whatever from Call Me by Your Name. That dude did great. That dude did great. And look at all the things he's about to star in now. Think about all the love, my man. Like you know what I'm saying. Like what do we like? Cuba couldn't get no nomination for that. He didn't get a nomination. James, I think you're right, man. Like I like I like I. You know what? I'm a person who's like always wanted to get an Oscar or two, and like I'm wondering why. So real quick, this is what happens after, right? He does this incredible role uh, in um, Boys in the Hood. Uh, right after this, uh, movie-wise, he's in he's in like a semi-starring role in this movie called Gladiator, uh, where he's a boxer. Uh, uh, I don't really exactly know how much this movie made or whatever, but he's in that. He's in some movie called Hits. <laughs> or, or wait, or sorry, it's called Judgment? So pissed. It's weird. The poster says Hits, but it also says Judgment. I don't, he, it wasn't a huge thing. Then he does a, a, a small role in A Few Good Men with Tom Cruise. Um, he's in a TV movie called Daybreak, which is interesting. Um, I remember Daybreak. Daybreak was good. He's in a movie called uh, Judgment Night. Four friends on their way to a boxing match get caught in heavy traffic. Uh, So they take a shortcut and they witness a murder. Uh, The other people who are in this were Emilio Estevez and Dennis Leary. And then this dude, 
Stephen Dorff. So he was like one of the main characters, except on the poster. Oh, no, he's on the poster. Okay. And then he's in this movie called Lightning Jack, which is a Paul Hogan movie. Do you remember Paul Hogan? He's Crocodile Dundee. Oh, Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. He's in this movie called Lightning Jack. And he's on the poster of that too. Uh, so he was like doing these like weirder kind of movies. And then he finally, he does this, he does Outbreak. Uh, and he's like not the biggest role in that, but you know, he's there. Uh, his name is not on the poster in that movie though. And then he was in Losing Isaiah which is the Halle Berry movie. and uh, He was in Losing Isaiah? Yeah. Apparently. not His name is not on the poster for that movie either. Uh, and then and then we get to Jerry Maguire, which will be our next film. Mm. So he was in movies. He was definitely doing movies. The biggest one being A Few Good Men, but he wasn't a huge role in that. And he had like a couple of you know, he was kind of the lead in Gladiator and this this movie called Gladiator. And then he was the lead of the TV movie. And then he was like supporting roles in Judgment Night, Lightning Jack, and Outbreak, and Losing Isaiah. So. Yeah, Daybreak was good. <laughs> anyway. Uh, James, do you have anything else to say? I don't. I, I don't have anything oh, else to say. Oh, good. Perfect. Yeah, I think this movie's it's, taking a uh, toll. I think it's taking a toll. <laughs> it's time for the, <laughs> I think it has, man. It's time for the cause. We rate and review films not based on how much we like the movie, but whether it helped the cause of more leading black actors in Hollywood. If it fully helped the cause, we give it a black fist. If it somewhat helped the cause, we give it a white palm. If we de- feel like this didn't help the cause at all, we don't we don't give it anything. Uh on the count of three, we're going to throw up our reviews. Uh ready? Mm-hmm. One, two. I'm assuming right. three black fists. Yep. Yeah. Three black fists. I mean, we don't even need to say it really, but I mean, this obviously helped launch the careers of all of these black actors, but no, most notably Cuba Gooding Jr. and um, uh, Ice Cube Nia and Long Morris too. Chestnut too. Neil Long is and huge. And Neil Long too. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, man, this movie gets all the black fists. I mean, it was, it was incredible. It made know. money. I mean, there's not much to say about it. It's just like, to me... I just want people to look at this movie and think about how we can tell our stories, even if it's about like the darkest moments of our time, and still give us heart, humility, and it's just to me, it's just a beautiful way he established this. And it was a young black man who did it. Like I'm reading so many stories about it right now, how people cried when they read the script. I mean, I, I thought it was beautiful. So, and I think it's okay to say this movie is beautiful. Yeah, you know. I think it's okay to say it's a beautiful movie. So that's all I got. All right. Well, uh, you can follow us at Blackman Podcast. Blackmanpodcast.com is our website. Follow me at John Braylock. Uh, JohnBraylock.com is my website, James. Follow me at James Third Comedy. JamesThirdComedy.com. Third is 3RD. Yeah, and I'm at Gerard Milligan on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, if you rate and review us on iTunes, we will read your review on the air. I forgot if I read this one from Canada. Uh, No, I think I did. 
I think I think I did all the re- all the reviews. All right. Well, rate review. Give us five stars, people. Uh, next week we will be reviewing the film Jerry Maguire. Oh yeah, more with Cuba. Special guest Phil Jackson. Oh yeah, not not the the NBA coach Phil, Phil Jackson. Augusta Jackson. Phil Augusta writer. Writer for many shows. For many shows, including Brooklyn Nine Nine and Key and Peele. That's right, baby. Oh yeah. Uh, so we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace. That was a headgum podcast. Hi! Whoa, I'm definitely not going to be able to maintain that energy level. Hey, I'm Vulture Senior Editor Jesse David Fox, and I'm happy to tell you that my podcast, Good One, a podcast about jokes, is now on headgum. Headgum, headgum, headgum. Each episode, a comedian picks a joke from their career to play and talk about how it came together. Comedians like Chris and Shaw talking about our birdcage bit. Or Weird Al talking about parroting blurred lines. Or Will Forte talking about his MacGruber sex scene. Or Maria Bamford talking about her University of Minnesota commencement speech. Or Jerry Seinfeld. We have a lot of great guests lined up for season three. Bo Burnham, Vanessa Bayer, Reggie Watts, Jimmy Fallon, Cameron Esposito, and Kid Gorgeous himself, John Mulaney. So subscribe to A Good One on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. New episodes every Monday. Have a good one.